Wrestling Geeks everyone out there in Geek Vibes Nation, this is your pal Dane Alves with another enticing episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance, a two-times-a-week show in which me and my co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton, break down the latest and greatest in wrestling news and review these shows of the last week. And uh, we are on our second show this week. We're going to be reviewing Impact, uh, which happened on Tuesday on Twitch. Well, that's how I watched it. I don't know if uh, Chris watched it on cable but i watched it on twitch and then obviously raw and smackdown um and i have to say i'm in a positive good mood i'm giddy today if you will it's saturday i'm gonna go hang out with my niece and my sister later on and have a great conversation with uh chris uh i don't know when you guys are listening to it but saturday when we're recording it so i raw and smackdown i actually liked a good chunk of uh their stuff this week some of it not so much uh, Raw, more of a timing issue, but the shows didn't uh, make me bash my head against anything, which happens a lot, which is why I have a concussion. Hey, guys, how you doing? Welcome to another episode. I'm just kidding. I'm not. I'm not. I don't really have <laughs> <laughs> Waiting in the sidelines for me to shut the fuck up. My co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton. How you doing, sir? I'm doing wonderful, man. I also have plans today. I'm going to uh, to my one of my best friend's mom's birthday parties later, so that's going to be awesome. And yeah. uh, got a cold beer. Going to talk about some wrestling. I'm, I'm setting up some cold beers beforehand, and then I'm going to Uber over there like a responsible adult. You are responsible, and I appreciate it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we have very different feelings on Raw and SmackDown, apparently, so this should be an interesting oh. day. <laughs> Well, I mean, it, it, saying that it's better than it has been lately is not really that, like, you know, hard of a thing to do. So I thought um, there was uh, – I'll just go ahead and start it off. I thought there was some good wrestling on both shows. There is a lot of questionable-ass booking, so that's probably going to be the I think I know where you're, 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 you're coming from on that, and, and that probably has to do with the uh, women's match later on and Kari Sane and all that stuff. And I completely agree with you on that, uh, for sure. <laughs> uh, God. So what are you going to do? Why don't we talk about Impact first to kind of start things off? Sounds great. Let's get it. All right. So Impact started off with, uh, you know, an opening with a uh, package of a devastated uh, Rich Swan talking about his struggles of, uh, you know, kind of going through uh, this time period, coming back from injury, and then Eric Young taking away uh, his ability to get back in the ring by destroying his knee again. So uh, yeah, it's um, interesting what they're what they're going for. Then we had um, you know couple, but they're pretending they're not married. Uh, Madison Rain and um, Josh Matthews opening up the show. Um, the question I have to you, Chris, with Rick Swan, he did come back from injury. They obviously worked the opposite leg of where he was injured and made it look like they destroyed his his injury. What the hell does that do in storyline? How the hell do you come back from that? Like, are they just giving him more time off uh, and they wanted to give him a showing during Slammiversary? I, I don't really understand the logic in that, really. 
Uh, I don't know. I mean, it could be multiple. It could be a multitude of things. It could be uh, could be storyline. You know, maybe a submission match where he has an injured leg or something, or it could be where the leg's not fully healed and he was put on the card for Slammiversary and they lost a lot of people already headed into that main event. And he was like, well, look, I'm not 100%, but I'll go. And you guys can give me extra time off. It could also be contract. Um, as we've heard about with Impact, some of their contracts uh, are seemingly <laughs> month to month. Uh, so, I mean, we haven't heard anything like that with Rich Swan, but I, I, I don't know. That one's up in the air, and I haven't really heard anything about it. But, you know, if he's getting extra time off to fully heal up, and he just did that to be a part of Slammiversary, uh, it wasn't a bad showing. Absolutely. And maybe that's all it is, really. So uh, when he comes back, I assume he's going to be going straight for Eric Young's throat, which we'll get to Mr. Young uh, coming up soon. God, those uh, those Saturday morning beers, man. Forgot there's uh, the burp process. Wish I was on mute just then. Oh, well. Um, so they kind <laughs> of started off with a bang, man. They went into a match with Eddie Edwards and Trey Miguel. And I know they see big things in Trey Miguel. I believe he's had the X Division Championship. He's a real talent in the ring. Um, I love him as a part of the Rascals unit. He's kind of the singles guy, while the other two, you know, Desmond and I forgot what the other guy's name is uh, off the top of my head. I always do. But they're more the tag team elements within their trio. And uh, Eddie Eddie and him have a great match, a very competitive match. Trey was one of the guys that was going for the title at Slammiversary. The ending would have Miguel going for a split-legged moonsault, but Edwards gets his knees up in the air. Miguel with a running forearm smash. Edwards answers with a running elbow smash himself. Miguel super kicks Edwards. Knife chop uh, exchange. Edwards with a forearm smash. Miguel drops Edwards with a Pele kick. Uh, Miguel has complete control of the match during the commercial break. Forearm exchange. Miguel with a rolling elbow. Edwards with a knife edge chop. Miguel decks Edwards with a back elbow smash. Edwards chops Miguel on the chest. Miguel thrust kicks and uh, right knees Edwards in the face. Edwards goes for a belly-to-belly suplex, but Miguel lands back on his feet. If you can't tell, Trey Miguel was able to get the better of Eddie, but obviously it would, you know, kind of go blow up in his face. Miguel drop kicks the back of Edwards' head. Miguel hits a springboard stunner for a two-count. Miguel climbs to the top turnbuckle. Miguel drives over Edwards. Uh, Edwards sends Miguel chest-first into the canvas. Edwards with a forearm smash. Edwards goes for the Tiger Driver. But Miguel counters it with the Hurricane Rana for a two count. Miguel uploads two super kicks. Edward clotheslines Miguel. Edwards connects with a Tiger Driver for a two count. Miguel with a jumping knee strike. And then Edwards plants Miguel with the Boston Knee Party to pick up the victory. After the match, Eric Young appears on the stage. Edward tells uh, Young to get in the ring and bring it. Uh, Young heads backstage like it wasn't, you know any type of issue with him like he could care less about eddie edwards so they're definitely playing off a match with eric young versus eddie edwards in the future probably at the next pay-per-view for the title which should be interesting i thought the match was really good this is probably the most sound match uh, of the evening it's crazy they went with the championship match to start off and both guys are really good i know they see like i said a lot in trey and he was awesome in this match and uh, just has a lot of talent and can only grow from here. I don't know if he's ready for the main title. Um, I'm not saying he has to go back to the X Division, but I would rather, if someone's going to take that off of Eddie, I would rather it be Eric Young and kind of do something different, have 
baby faces chasing heels. That usually works out pretty well. But I feel like they're going to keep that title in Edwards for the time being, especially since they have another title with the TNA title that they can utilize with Moose. So uh, what did you think about this match, Chris? I thought this was match of the night on their show. I thought it was a really, really good match. Uh, Trey Miguel, it seems like almost they're positioning him kind of like Ricochet a little bit. Uh, if you go back to like Ricochet and, and totally Lucha reminds Under, me of Ricochet. Yep. There's, there's a certain feel about him where it's like a yeah, uh, Prince Puma or something. Uh, if you go back to like Lucha underground, but I, I love this match. I thought it was very, very fun. Um, good hot opener. And I liked, they followed up on their pay-per-view because he was in the, he was in that match at the pay-per-view, right? That's Slammer version. Yes, he definitely was. Yeah, so yep. if they're going to go through, he's gonna, let's say that the next match is against Ace Austin, and they're just going to continue to tease Eric Young as, you know, Eddie Edwards has to go through all of these opponents, and then somehow that means Eric Young gets the better of him because he's been having to fight all of these other guys. That's a great old-school wrestling storyline. And if they're going that direction... That's fucking awesome. So I liked everything about this, dude. I have nothing bad to say about this. Uh, it's a little weird we didn't hear anything out of Eric Young just coming out and and then leaving. But, uh, you know, it's for later. They're teasing us. Yeah, and I would definitely check out a great interview with Eric Young um, on Chris Von Vliet that came out this last week. Um, and just kind of going over everything. I hate. They did this with Moxley a little while ago, too. I hate the fucking headlines of them taking one part of a conversation, one sentence, and exploiting it. Like when he was talking about problems he had with creative and thinking that they're broken over there in WWE because, you know, Vince is, uh, Vince is kind of out of touch. Uh, I think any, anyone can uh, believe that, that, that concept. But he actually said a lot of positive things. And, he, and, of course, they have to take that one negative part and kind of make it a huge news item throughout every fucking website, but um, a great interview just goes kind of into like, he loved uh, NXT. Hunter was really good to him. And then he went to the main roster. He tried to build a relationship with Vince, Vince and him talked quite a few times. Uh, and uh, obviously he, Vince didn't get um, his faction. So that didn't work out for him. And now he's very happy to be back. But even though he was perceived as a baby face, Probably, you know, in NXT with, with Sanity, you know, they got popular and they were just kind of like somehow the good guys all of a sudden. And obviously in Impact, his his state of mind, I think he wants to do this heel persona, this crazy persona. I'm sure he's done some element of that before in the past. So uh, I'm looking forward to him being a foil for Eddie. Uh, and, and yeah, we have Ace Austin. We have Trey. We have quite a few competitors. Uh, Michael Elgin seems like he's coming back at some point soon. Um, you know, in the future, or at least it's, it's, it's being rumored that they're trying to work stuff out. Um, so who knows? I, I, I am looking forward to it, but, uh, Eric Young definitely intrigues me because he seems like a guy with nothing to lose in storyline and in real life. Yeah. And I've always been a huge Eric Young fan. So I look forward to seeing what he's going to be able to do coming back home and impact. He's been a heel before. Um, I don't know how, I, I don't Team know. I call it. Yeah, I don't know. I'd call it like really successful uh, heel run, but uh, he feels like he's going for like almost like a Tommaso Ciampa, you know, uh, a Sicilian psychopath heel type of concept. Similar I kind, to that. Basically. I mean, I kind of hope that they play up the fact that he's like the grizzled old vet coming back to take back his yard a little bit, but he's yeah. also crazy, you know, because kind of Terry Funkish. 
Yeah, he's been to the top of the mountain and impact. He's an older guy. I mean, that, that's a good setup for for. And like I said, the storyline, if they p- continue to pivot around the people that were in that uh, that five man match, that that storyline is going to be great. I did the one comment I took, and I don't know if it's from the same interview that you that the the Van Vliet interview, but I did see floating around that he said that I mean he just openly said that Vince McMahon was a bad leader which I found very interesting. And I think a lot of people probably would agree with him to various extents, depending on their spot on the roster right now. But I, that was the most, to me, the most shocking thing that he said about WWE, because no one usually says that if they have any plans of ever going back there. Oh, I don't think he has any plans to want to ever go back there. <laughs> He's a... Uh... He, he didn't say directly that. He just basically said, like, you know, I know he's a genius, and he has had his his finger on the pulse with professional wrestling. He's made it something that of what it is today, but I just feel like he's very much out of touch, and that you know, it's he's the the system is flawed over at at, at WWE, and um, that was his main uh, thing that he told Chris. Okay, cool. Well, it may have been, it may have been, he's done a bunch of interviews, so I'm not sure it was the same interview, but definitely I saw that floating around there, um, floating around the web. He probably feels that way. But I mean, I, I think he, that's, I mean, they demolished his entire faction and did dick all with them with the exception of Nikki. And I mean, if you consider what Nikki's storyline has been for the past, what year and a half, it's not like they did a whole lot with her either. No. And it seems like they're finally putting her back in the position she was fucking two years ago. So, I mean, I, I they just immediately broke them up as soon as they went to the main roster. So it wasn't even a fact that, like, Vince gave them a chance and hated it. It was more like Vince was like, nope, <laughs> as soon as they got there. <laughs> so uh, He I, definitely straight up said, man, that Vince had it wrong with him, and he made a huge mistake with not utilizing him, and that's his own fault, basically. So I'm glad Eric Young... As cocky as that sounds to come off, I'm glad he has that type of confidence in himself as a as a pro wrestler. Well, I mean, he should. I mean, if you go back and watch Eric Young and Impact, even some of his early matches against uh, uh, Kazarian in the early days of TNA, like 2005, 2006, when they were all part of the X Division, before he became kind of the Eric Young character with ODB and shit, like... He had great matches. He is known as a really, really good wrestler. Like, uh, he has that spot-for-spot match with Mr. Kennedy where they just do Muda and Sting. Like, the guy is a fucking great wrestler. And and the fact that you can't at least just have him fill a Dolph Ziggler role on your roster where he just goes out and has good matches with people is fucking baffling to me. But, yeah, so I I tend to agree with him on that. Apparently him and uh, Dan O'Brien, obviously because of past situations with Impact reflecting off of the popularity of Daniel Bryan and using... Eric Young, they wanted to have a uh, a feud, uh, but that got kiboshed as well. <laughs> so. I would have loved to have seen uh, Daniel Bryan versus Eric Young. That sounds like a fucking awesome match. Yep. Well, let's get back to Impact. Uh, I think Eric's going to tear some shit up and be a main player over on Impact, and I'm looking forward to seeing him. But uh, a couple of vignettes that happened. We had Rohat Raju, uh, and he was in the locker room with TJ Perkins and his tag partner, Falaba. Um, which TJ, I think is pulling double duty. I'm pretty sure he's also suicide, but I could be completely wrong about that. Um, but he's trying to convince him because I guess he thinks that he would be an easy opponent for Chris Bay and he's trying to get on Chris Bay's good graces. He kind of, you know, kind of convinced 
TJ Perkins to go back for the X division, which is awesome because I love TJ Perkins and you know, him, the stuff I've seen with him in follow as a tag team has been fun, but TJ such a fucking, he's a, he's a very, he's a good worker. So I, I I'm kind of excited about that. Um, Ace Austin tells uh, Gia Miller that he'll be paying extra attention to the Good Brothers Reno scum match that basically he kind of set up. Uh, they had a vignette for the Motor City Machine Guns, getting you pumped, and then went into a nice interview with Ethan Page, uh, who is completely speechless. Joss Alexander says that's only a matter of time until the North will once again become the Impact World Tag Team Champions because they have a rematch clause in their pocket. And... Uh, they have their flashback moment. Don't really need to go over it. Great match with beer, beer money and uh, Motor City Machine Guns, but, I mean, passed up. And uh, next week on Impact Wrestling, Moose will put his his uh, TNA World Heavyweight title on the line against Heath Slater. So, well, they're not calling him Heath Slater. Maybe Heath Miller. But uh, what do you think about some of these things? You got TJ Perkins uh, going back to the X Division. So that's a pretty cool concept. Ace Austin you know, already planting seeds that he's probably going to interfere with uh, the Good Brothers and Reno Scum, the vignette for the Motor City Machine Guns, and Ethan Page and Josh Alexander trying to pull themselves back um, from their loss against the Motor City Machine Guns. Did we... Either my show is slightly out of order in the way that I watched it, or we missed something. Did we talk about the Russell House? That's next. It's the way they presented it. Okay, so I don't know if the TV version is slightly different, but I got the Russell House before the AC Romero Crazy Steve match. Oh, I, yeah, I haven't I haven't even gotten to that yet. Well, that's what I'm saying is this is all out of order because the TJP stuff happened after <laughs> the AC maybe, Romero. <laughs> I, I guess maybe the review that I have uh, might have put the segments uh, all together so you could just – I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, that that is coming up. Okay, cool. So I'll just talk about the stuff that you talked about, and we'll, we'll go from there. From I was just making sure it wasn't crazy, because I was like, I fuck? I hope that this website didn't do that for Ron SmackDown, but, <laughs> you know, we're trying out new things, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, I wonder I wonder if it, well, because it's they do one version on Twitter and one version on TV, I wonder if they, that was my question, I guess, more than anything, is if they change the, once they record it or whatever, if they flip it around. Hopefully Probably not. not. But, uh, yeah, so I'll talk about the, the TJP stuff. I I mean, it makes sense for him to go back to the X Division. I kind of, for me, I wasn't a huge fan of TJ Perkins. I, I don't think I've ever been a huge fan of TJ Perkins, as we've talked about on this show. I just don't get the gimmick. I think he's a great wrestler. Should it just be suicide? <laughs> Probably. Um, but whatever. I mean, I didn't hate this storyline. Um I'm trying to think what else we had. I, we had I just the... think that suicide's a better uh, gimmick than uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, and, he, and now he doesn't even have the cool theme music because WWE owns that, so that's yeah, <laughs> that's unfortunate. Uh, GM Miller interviewed Ace Austin, Madman Fulton. Um, so this is just a buildup for a match with the Good Brothers, right? Yep. And so they just shit talked to them. I thought that was fine. Nothing great, but it was fine. D- did you talk about the Motor City Machine Guns video package? Um, I, I mentioned it. I thought it was awesome, and I loved how it went into a <laughs> promo with Ethan Page and Josh Alexander just completely baffled how they lost to championships. Yes. So I thought this entire segment was incredible. The North, like as someone that's coming back into Impact, um 
kind of really into them as a tag team. I think they're they're pretty fucking great. So I look forward to seeing more back and forth between them, and then hopefully eventually the uh, the Good Brothers down the the road. So most of the stuff I liked the TJP thing I just don't like TJP. So it's gonna be a <laughs> hard sell for me the question i have for you is obviously with with the wrestle house thing and also with these flashback matches they've been doing they're trying to limit i guess the amount of wrestling for their the wrestlers for the main shows which i can get to an extent especially with the pandemic and everything um but do you like them doing these flashbacks where they you know they premiere like a a wrestling group uh with the motor city machine guns and show you a classic match they have with beer money for new for new viewers to check out. I think it's a very smart way to do things, especially if that match is good. Yep. Um, because I don't know that people that are watching Impact now, I, you're asking a lot for people to have stuck around through all of Impact's bullshit over the years. Yep. <laughs> so you would think that maybe it's like half of the people that stuck around through everything, and maybe some new fans since they went to Twitch. That's what your your hope would be, right? So. Um, I don't know. I think it's a good, especially if you don't know who Motor City Machine Guns are, uh, showing like a beer money match is not a bad idea. I would I would have probably did the Young Bucks match just because the Young Bucks are popular on the other product. So, it, you know, that helps you indirectly. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. But that's, uh, you know, I, I like it. And I think, you know, they're in a weird situation with kind of how they film their shows and stuff. And, uh, you know, going back and forth from Canada to Nashville. So to me, I don't really have a problem with it. And I, you know what? I fucking enjoy most of these flashback matches. <laughs> the nostalgia in me really enjoys them. So I guess I'm probably the bad person to ask. I, I think it would be <laughs> a better question to ask to a new viewer. Right. Or like your casual fan where it's like, how, how do you feel about watching something from 2010? Yeah, that's a good point. Well, uh, after that. Oh, well, and, and not only that, like, how do you feel about – I don't think Heath's going to win, but <laughs> they're using this Impact uh, or the TNA World Heavyweight title, and they're putting this thing on the line. Obviously, it's the same concept, if you will, of the Fuck the World title for AEW. I don't know how prominent of a title it really is, but, hey, we're going to have a match with Moose and Heath, and, uh, you know, EC3 is obviously lurking, trying to take Moose out, so – what if they put that thing on Heath all of a sudden because of some interference? That'd be cool. I don't even. It, is it a title? <laughs> I don't know. We got we have three companies with fake titles right now, Ugh. so. <laughs> um, that would be funny if EC3 takes out Moose and Heath Slater goes on a run with this title that's not real but pretends it's real. He's if got he's gonna, kids, man. If he's going to do kind of his comedy I Got Kids gimmick and he has a fake title and just starts doing like a weekly challenge or something, like there's some entertaining shit you could do with that. And then you can get that off of Moose and get to a serious program with him and EC3. So, yeah, like I don't know. I don't hate it. All right. So this is something I've, I've been wanting to ask you about, if whether you hate it. <laughs> uh, episode one of Wrestle House. They, they – We'll just go over it completely. They kind of went back to it a couple times. They're trying to, I think, show off some of the characters they have a part of their roster and do it in, you know, well, I mean, technically they did have matches, but less matches, more storyline. But they filmed it like, you know, the 2000s fucking many terrible celebrity-based reality shows that looked completely scripted. And they're kind of playing off that. So none of it's 
unbelievable, if you will, except for the fact that Rosemary is always in, you know, face paint and whatnot. But uh, I like them trying to find the rooms. I like them having matches over, you know, with like Ace Romero and uh, and Crazy Steve uh, over who would get that room and stuff like that. I actually found it pretty funny. I can't put my finger on any of the funny moments because I watched it on Tuesday. But I remember being very uh, – I thought it was charming. I thought it was I thought it was a lot of fun and if you want to utilize some of these guys and still have them relevant, show off some of their character and not position them in matches as much, this is a pretty decent way of doing it. Uh it's definitely a throwback um to early reality TV where like I said you could just tell and I mean it's still like this people uh that it's complete bullshit, but um yeah, it it uh it it, it was it was fine, you know? What what did you think about it, Chris? As much as I want to bury this, I also, like, didn't bury Street Profits and Viking Raiders' weird competition thing. So, <laughs> looking at it from that standpoint, it was fine. I guess, the to me, the funniest moment was when Ty is, like, trying to leave, and then Rosemary turns all of the doors into a portal of hell, and they just show Abyss randomly. I thought, <laughs> yeah. that, was, I thought that was pretty good. Um, yeah, I want to see where they go with it. Uh I mean, I'm not a huge fan if this thing is going to drag on forever, but it, it's interesting having Rosemary and, and Crazy Steve involved. They kind of plays into their characters. So, like I said, if I bury this, I also have to go back on our previous episodes and bury the fucking Viking Raiders Street Profits thing because it's the same kind. It's the same level of silliness, right? So yeah, um, I thought it was it was fine. Uh, one thing I thought was much better was EC3's promo that he that he had. EC3 talked about his past accomplishments, you know, beating Sting, beating Kurt Angle for the title. Uh, but in reality, who really cares? History is written by the winners. But what if the winners are pathological liars? EC3 has to go back and destroy everything he did to get him to be where he wants to be. He seems failure reflecting back at him in the mirror. Every win and every step came at the expense of his soul. EC3's past is his biggest foe. He has uh, to break every attention to his past in order to realize his future. The past is just a story, and it has no power over him. EC3 has to control his narrative and control his power. You've been warned. Love this promo. Also was able to get a lot of uh, insight on the direction of his character now. Uh, with his interview with Chris Jericho, like I said, I'd recommend going to listen to that. Um, it was a couple days ago released. And he basically said this character, it's not so much he's scorned by WWE, but even like the perception of him before as Dixie Carter's uh, you know, nephew and always having something that he feels hindered his character to be completely creative. And he he said that he even he's basing this character almost like if if he was Tyler Durden from Fight Club, like if he was this chaotic perception of humanity like very in-depth way of thinking about this character like he's still gonna have flavors of jericho and the rock and a lot of the other guys he was influenced by but he wants to be something a bit different a much more aggressive approach of his past character and he's happy that you know with him being able to go you know work out a contract where at least from what he's saying he doesn't have to just be a part of impact he can do other stuff he wants to bring this character to be a pretty good gimmick based off of the the bad stuff that happened to him while he was in WWE. So 
I like it. I really do. I think that he's on fire right now, and I'm looking forward to a match with him and Moose in the future that I think will happen. What do you think, Chris? I love the promo. I've, I've liked what they've done with EC3 thus far. Like I said, I, I've never been a huge EC3 fan, mostly just because his in-ring style is not my thing. Um, but the way they've been building him has been great. Uh, I haven't heard the interview yet, but as far as the, that's, I mean, the way I took the character is scorned by both Impact and WWE. Like, they didn't want to pay him. He left. He got shit on. Now he's coming back for revenge, right? Kind of, that's how I took it. Yep. Um, but if he's got a deeper meaning to his character, I, I want to hear what he has to say. I, I like that he's thinking that in depth about what this character is. And the fact Impact will actually try to let him play some of that out, which is cool. Don't put him on uh, – don't let him go to, to no. AEW at all because he's just oh. fucking – he's so <laughs> I huge. I thought you were going to say Wrestle House. I was going to say, no, he cannot <laughs> yeah. be on that thing. No, I was just – I was making a joke about like every person that AEW's brought in is like bigger than anyone else on their roster recently. So yeah. like, <laughs> Like I said, it's okay. They'll job out the first time, and then they'll be on the same level yeah, as Marco Stone. But I, I like this. Uh, I like the I like the promo, and I like that the the feud is picking back up from where he left off with Moose to some extent, which they had a great feud together when, uh, well, him and um, Maria Kanellis and Mike Bennett. Like he had some really good feuds there towards the end of his Impact run, where he was kind of their top guy. Honestly, so it's it's cool to see a former top guy come into a company and, and reset with a different character. And I think the vignettes and the promos that he's had thus far have been fu- pretty fucking good. All right, we had a match with Deanna Prazo and Kimberly. Deanna Prazo, the women's champion over at Impact, or the the uh, Knockouts women's champion. Uh, Lee. So this match, the ending would have uh, it was a pretty good match between her and Kimberly. I know Kimberly because of well, I know her from the indie scene, but I mainly found her up from the first May Young Classic that she was a part of. She's a very efficient in-ring worker. But Pizarro reverses out of the Irish rip from Lee. Lee applies a Koji clutch at the ropes. Lee kicks the left hamstring of Perrazzo. Lee with a roundhouse kick. Lee followed with a step-up enziguri for a two-count. Lee talks a bunch of smack to Perrazzo. Perrazzo slaps Lee in the face. Forearm exchange. Lee uploads uh, three knife-edge chops. Perrazzo dodges the spinning heel kick. Perrazzo kicks the left knee, uh, and then Perrazzo with a stunning knee lift. Perrazzo hits a side Russian leg sweep. Lee negates the Fujiwara armbar. Lee ducks a clothesline from Perrazzo. Lee connects with a bridging German suplex for a two-count. Lee transitions into the ground and pounds attacks. Perrazzo with an ankle pickoff, the middle turnbuckle. Perrazzo delivers a sacrifice. Prazo makes Lee tap out to the Fujiara armbar. After the match, Jordan Grace tackles Perrazzo. Grace is raining down haymakers. Perrazzo exits the ring. Grace is not quite finished with Perrazzo. Winner, Perrazzo, via submission. And then we we'll, – we'll go into that actually next. But, um, yeah, pretty good uh, match with both women. Um, like I said, I think that uh, Lee is a, a good uh, in-ring hand, and she had a good match with Perrazzo, and obviously it's set up that – Jordan Grace wants her fucking title back, and she's not happy about it. So uh, how'd you like this match, Chris? It was an okay match. (laughs) I think it's good for Deanna to get a win. Um, And obviously this is just building towards her and Grace again, I'm assuming. But 
I this match was just average at best for me. Yep. All right, so we had a, a Brian Myers vignette, another one that we saw last week where he's he's got a mask on with the M on it. Um, and I, I'm assuming he's coming soon. I think that he's probably going to be someone mainly in the X division uh, at first, which will be awesome because I think that he should be someone with that title. Um, and uh, after that, we had um, a nice little Radicals Treehouse thing where they're doing the That 70s Show. For some reason, Suicide's there. So that was fun. And uh, another segment that happened uh, with Katie Forbes and this ongoing uh, thing with Sammy Callahan, how he kind of he basically inevitably insulted her. She got pissed off, and now we have Rob Van Dam um, having issues with Sammy Callahan. So obviously that's going to set up a feud. Um, she was going to show us some some dirty pictures, and I think from what I remember, I think Sammy like you know interrupted that whole thing and hacked it uh, like his old uh, NXT gimmick, basically Solomon Crow. But um, hey, I think that Sammy and, and uh, RVD could have a great match. It's just very weird that Sammy is the babyface in this. And Rob Van Dam is the heel. So uh, what did you think about all three of these? Uh, we haven't gotten Brian Myers, but we got another vignette with him with his mask on. Um, the the weird That 70s Show stoner the Radicals Treehouse thing. And then everything with Katie Forbes, uh, Rob Van Dam, and Sammy Callahan leading to a match between Callahan and, and Van Dam. I like the fact that Katie Forbes is assigned to this roster but doesn't know who Sammy Callahan is. Like, that shit's hilarious to me. Like, her just yeah. thinking that he's a fan, like, I like that. That's funny. Um, so I like that. I like the setup of Rob Van Dam versus Sammy Callahan. Um, that, if you're going to do a hardcore match, that would be one to see, just because Rob Van Dam's able to hit really good high spots and stuff, and you can have Sammy Callahan brawl. And uh, that that could be a lot of fun. So I'm excited to see how that plays out. Um, I hated the fucking animated rooster shit. Is that what it was? Yeah. Um, not a fan of that. Thought that was garbage. And then there was one other thing you asked me about. I'm trying to remember what it was. Or did I? No, the Brian Myers thing. Um, fuck. I mean, I guess I want to see him actually debut instead of just these vignettes. But right now I'm completely underwhelmed by Brian Myers and the Lucha Mask. Yeah, I don't really know where it's going at all. I have no idea. I mean, if he comes in and he has really, really good matches, and it's kind of a take on, like, an El Generico character, which is where I thought they might be going with it, that's intriguing. But it doesn't... Just from these vignettes, there's there's nothing really to get excited about. I don't know if that's how I would have de- de- tried to debut myself in a new company. Especially when you haven't really been on the main product in, in WWE in, like, a year and a half, two years. Whenever they won those tag titles and then immediately got buried right after. All right, so the uh, I think the last thing that we had was the match with the Good Brothers and Reno Scum. So we'll uh, head to the last part of it. Thornstow kicks Anderson in the gut, uh, uses Lester's head as a weapon, which they do this shit all the time. Crazy two hillbillies. This this the uh, group. Reno Scum that is rumored to uh, being or soon to be aligned with with uh, Bully Ray for uh, Ace and Eight. I'm kind of hoping that doesn't happen. But um, he then tags in Luster. Uh, Reno Scum are double teaming Anderson. Luster with a falling headbutt. Luster applies a front face lock. Thurn uh, Stoke tags himself in. 
He kicks Anderson in the ribs, applies a rear naked uh, a rear chin lock. Anderson with a with heavy body shots. Luster uh, dives his knee into Anderson's neck. Thurnstow continues to kick Anderson in the gut. Thurnstow goes for the Impaler DDT, but Anderson counters with a Spinebuster. Beautiful Spinebuster. It's just so weird how anyone that with the last name Anderson. Uh, anyways, uh, Anderson tags in Gallows. Gallows clotheslines uh, Thurnstow. Gallows knocks Luster off the, the ring apron. Gallows with a running lariat. Gallows uppercuts Thurnstow. Gallows with a leaping back elbow smash. Gallows uh, drops Thurnstow with a big boot. Then he nails Thurnstow with a pump kick. Gallows tags in Anderson. Good Brothers connect the Magic Killer to pick up the victory after the match. Good Brothers get into a major brawl with Ace Austin and Madman Fulton to close out the show. So that's the main running storyline is Ace Austin, this up-and-comer. Uh, you know, someone compared – I mean, it's, it's very hard to – he's good in the ring, but has that cocky demeanor as an AJ Styles or Shawn Michaels, and this is obviously – Madman Fulton's his diesel, if you will. But uh, I enjoyed the match, and uh, I like where this is going. What did you think about it, Chris? I want to start out by saying the tag team name Reno Scum is fucking great, and also that would just be a great singles wrestler name. Uh, if you, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like this match. I thought it was a good, um, a good, good brothers match, and a good kind of. I guess this is their in-ring debut, right? Because they didn't really have a match last week. So, uh, yeah, it's a good start. I thought it was kind of funny that they announced the Good Brothers were billed from, like, when they were, like, from Tokyo, Japan. I was like, huh, that's kind of funny with uh, Carl Anderson and, and Gallows. So, I, I mean. He's got a hot Asian wife, man. He's just trying to he, represent. He's trying to represent. He does have a hot Asian wife. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to see where, where they're, what they're going to be doing. This was, I, I enjoyed this. I thought this was a fun little main event. How do you like? Because I don't know how familiar you are with Ace Austin. I show I saw him show up in MLW. Was really impressed because he's like he was 21, 22 at the time, and um, doing a bunch of crazy shit, jumping off of platforms way fucking too high for him to be doing flips off of. And now he's kind of, you know, I mean he is a fan, he, admittedly of people like Michaels and AJ, kind of taking that cocky style high flyer gimmick and you know presenting it at least on tna so originally i remember him from czw where he wrestled for a while which is kind of weird um but i kind of remember him coming into impacts obviously i haven't seen as much of him recently but you know a guy his size i think he moves very well i think he's pretty good in the ring he's got like kind of a crazy look to him. I don't think the character has really ever developed to me other than him just pulling out a card and throwing it at people, right? So, um, But that's partially on me because I have not watched all of Impact. I don't know if that yep. answers the question or just kind of dances around it, but I feel like it's unfair for me to judge no. his full Impact run just because you and I, both, like we both, kind of started watching it right around, or I did, I started watching it again right around Slammiversary. So... Same thing last year. We started watching around Slammiversary, and then I just kind of fell yep. the fuck, kind of fell the fuck off. Um, at least this time around, they, there's some intriguing things they have going on uh, to keep me attentive. But uh, yeah, so I, don't, I mean, I've only, like I said, most of the stuff I saw was from CZW. I did see his uh, debut match back in, I guess it was last year, probably right before Slammiversary, uh, and I've seen some of his matches since. I think he's pretty good in the ring. 
um, has he had a feud with Trey Miguel? Because I feel like I've seen some matches with him and Trey yep. Miguel that were really fucking good. His last two feuds, the last one was with Trey Miguel, where he tried to injure him pretty badly, and uh, that kind of built up even to Slammiversary. And then he had one before that with Eddie Edwards, where he was playing like the younger kid that was trying to get in his wife's pants. Um, <laughs> and that ended up blowing up in his face. Very, 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 they did a whole scene, like a hotel scene, very similar to Lana and Rusev, except for Eddie and her were the baby faces, and they beat the living shit out of him. So. We should call all of these segments Dane Explains What Happened in Impact to Chris over the past <laughs> year. Uh, Look, as someone who loved Impact for a long time, this is their fault. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's, it is. WWE is very close to this being their fault as well when you're when we're reviewing WrestleMania three years from now. And I'm like, so wait, what the fuck happened? <laughs> I'll just I'll keep on explaining it to you to the best of my abilities, Chris. <laughs> but yeah, I, I like I like Ace Austin um, for, from what I've seen. But like I said, I haven't. I don't have enough to judge him completely as a wrestler or performer. I just know that oh, I like. He also had a he had a few with Tessa too. I forgot about that. So I don't remember any of that. So like I know Tessa, Tessa went on as much as her, him. Yeah, he's like a hundred and what seventy pounds or something. Soaking what? Yep. Yeah. So, but hey, he's got a good look. Seems like he's good in the ring from those Trey Miguel matches I saw. Um, and the CZW. I mean, it's so hard to judge someone in CZW. I remember he hit a bunch of crazy spots, and then he ended up having a hardcore match. I think he was like the Wired Champion at one point or some shit. So the Wired Champion. Yeah, CZW has a wired champion. It's like their IC belt, kind of, from what I remember. Is it made out of barbed wire? <sighs> Fuck if I... I don't remember. Anytime I'm watching CZW, I'm usually drunk, so... <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that's funny. <laughs> I mean, not to, like, crap on anyone that came from CZW. There's been some... I mean, obviously, John Moxley. There's some great wrestlers that's come yeah. from CZW, but when I find myself watching ultraviolet wrestling... It's because I've just fell to the dark side of the internet. All right. Well, um, let's move far away from CZW uh, over to Monday Night Raw. It's on the 27th. Guess what? It was at the Performance Center in Orlando. We had Tom Phillips uh, joined by Samoa Joe, Byron Saxton to open up everything. We go to the ring and out comes Randy Orton to a mixed reaction. Uh, Tom sends us the video package with highlights from last week's unsanctioned match with Orton and the Big Show, uh, primarily ending with Orton obviously kicking him in the face and uh, taking him out. Orton takes the mic and talks about his career and some of the groups he's been a part of, Legacy, The Authority, um, Evolution, talks about some of the greats in the business, has put – or. Some, Wait, wait, I'm sorry. He talks about some of the greats the business has put out, WD Hall of Famer, Steve Austin, and The Rock, among others. He goes on about how The Rock and Austin can't hold a candle to anything he's done. Yikes. Uh, Something is missing. He hasn't been able to quite put his finger on it as of late, but it hit him like a ton of bricks this morning. He knows what he needs and desires, and he desires to become the WWE champion again. That means he's got to bring WWE champion Drew McIntyre into the conversation. But if they compare resumes, that would be a shot, a short conversation. Gordon goes on about how Drew's made an impressive comeback, 
from the chosen one days, quote unquote. But now Drew's got a problem, and that problem is that Drew has what Orton wants. Orton has a habit of taking things from people he wants in the biggest way possible, in the biggest environment possible. Orton announces that he wants a WWE title shirt at SummerSlam. The crowd, a developmental uh, talent pops. Orton says when he hits the RKO on Drew to take that title, Drew will never see it coming. Orton wraps his promo and makes his exit. So, uh, yeah. Interesting stuff. Uh, some, I'm not gonna fucking take it that seriously. Obviously, this is stuff material given to to Randy to an extent. So uh, they're trying to act as if he's on a different level than the Rock and Stone Cold, whatever. At the same time, though, this is effective. I like. I was like, is he gonna do it? Because I was thinking that this might be the next thing that he was doing from what stuff that we've both heard, Chris. And yeah, he's going after uh, Drew. At SummerSlam. SummerSlam this year apparently is going to be on either a boat or on the beach. Should be very interesting uh, wherever the fuck they do it. But um, the concept of a match with Randy Orton and Drew McIntyre does intrigue me. And I don't even think they're the greatest athletic specimens, especially with Randy, that a lot of people think. But I think they'll have a damn good match. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Viper strikes. I really could see that coming, which would suck for Drew. But... What do you think about this intro, his claims, and him, uh, you know, going for the title and calling out Drew McIntyre? So, I, as far as his claims go, if they cared more about their title belt, he's not wrong. He's held it 13 times. He's won the title way more than Austin or The Rock. Now, does he mean as much to the company as Austin or The Rock? No. But he has held the fucking belt longer than them and has had a longer career in the wwe than either the rock or stone cold so depending on how you position that and if they cared kayfabe about their product more that is kind of an accurate statement so i didn't have a problem with it i thought it was weird that they fucking talked about legacy a little bit um yeah that was odd like he could have said rko and not <laughs> legacy <laughs> but uh outside of that yeah i mean like whatever this is a setup for him and drew I'm hoping that Lesnar shows up and fucks that matchup on whatever this game is. Me too. Is. And I also hope that Chris Jericho has, like, promos about how he's copywritten wrestling on boats somehow. Just in AEW as a joke. You know, part of his character. He's like, they can't do a match on a boat? <laughs> just, like, all <laughs> Santana's like, they're doing it. <laughs> and then they just move past it. Like, that's going to be fucking hilarious. Um, yeah, I don't know. McIntyre versus Orton, that'll probably be really good. Drew seems like he's been having good matches with kind of anybody. Look at Bobby Lashley. It's probably the best Bobby Lashley match I've ever seen. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with you. I mean, it should be interesting because uh, as a competitor, you know, compared to Lashley, I think Randy Orton and Drew can serve uh, you know, making a, a very, very good match. So it's interesting. I liked Randy Orton's words. Uh, he's been dialed in very much. Uh, it's like he's having if, if Bruce Willis had a, rena, a renaissance and finally decide, you know what, I'm going to act again. It's, it's the same thing that I think Randy Orton did. Um, it's like he gives a shit now, Chris. 
Yeah, for sure. And and what did you think about my comments on if they treated their if they treated their company kayfabe, Orton having a longer career and more title wins? What he was saying in storyline makes sense as far as him being bigger yeah. than Austin or The Rock. I agree, and it didn't really bother me necessarily. I know that people fucking bitched about it, but um, at the same time, and we've talked about this, the more title range you have, the more times you've lost the belt, too. Well, yeah, but he was there 20 years versus The Rock and Austin, who were way shorter stints. But like you said, as far as you know, who is more... Uh, who is more needed for the WWE, you know, universe, if you will, it would probably be bigger stars would be rock and Austin compared to Randy Orton. But, you know, he has reason to be that cocky. Yeah. And I, I mean, like, I think outside of storyline, he's not going to be, he, I don't think Orton would ever say, yeah, I'm bigger than the rock or Austin. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know why people got so upset about that. It's just fucking, it's just yeah. him cutting a promo about if his... Talk about this. Do you think that Randy Orton wanted to have his match with Edge be called the greatest match of all time before they could even fucking do that? No, he even said that. Yeah, I'm sure he was fucking pissed knowing Randy Orton. He gets pissed really easily about things, so I'm sure that one fucking really pissed him off. All right, so we had some music hit. The... Anyways, um, and Nia Jax makes her return. For the first time since uh, Raw Women's Champion Asuka on June 15th um, beat her. Uh, Jax marches to the ring. The crowd boos. Jax says she just heard Randy Orton talk about uh, waking up and knowing what he wants. She knows how it feels. She woke up this morning and wanted to become the Raw Women's Champion. Jax talks about how she was screwed by a certain referee last month. She said... Because she was out because of, uh, you know, her attacking the referee. She says Charlotte Flair hasn't been seen since. She mentioned Asuka's match with WWE uh, Women's Champion Sasha Banks later tonight. But she wants to. Um, and then all of a sudden, before she could finish her statement, the music interrupts. Out comes Shayna Baszler to the ring. Baszler marches to the ring and gets in Jax's face with a mic. Baszler tells Jax nobody gives a damn what she wants. Jax pulls back and drops Baszler in the middle of the ring. Jax attacks and they brawl. Referees rush down to break the fight up. We go to commercial. And uh, yeah, that was uh, that was pretty much it between those two ladies. I think a lot of us, but I, I feel like they're going to push Asuka, obviously, from what well, we'll get to later on, um, against uh, Sasha, or, or is it Bailey? Yeah, against Sasha in the future, and they're going to be doing that still. But I feel like a lot of people wanted Shayna Baszler to be going against Asuka in some way. But this also makes sense. Uh, I think Shayna can put on a good match. <laughs> I don't know about against Nia Jax, but the visual is there. So these ladies are both tough as shit. Um, should be interesting. I don't know if it's going to be the greatest match of all time, to say the least, but it's interesting. Uh, what do you think, Chris? It's to me, it's only interesting from the standpoint if Nia Jax fucks up in this one, Shayna might shoot on her. <laughs> so that's interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know. This show doing back-to-back promos like this, I think, really hurt Nia Jax and Shayna when Orton cut a good promo and then they went directly to another promo, and we're 25 minutes into the show without wrestling, which I always fucking hate. But uh, as far as the match between those two. If they're trying to reset Shayna and build her as the person who 
beats their monster Nia, that's great. If they're just going to have Nia Jax beat Shayna Baszler, I'm going to hate this a lot. That's a very good point. All right, so we had a number one contenders title match, or uh, triple threat, I should say. It's for, uh, you know, number one contender to go against titles. We had the Viking Raiders against Cedric Alexander and Ricochet against Andrade and Angel Garza. Extremely good match. Uh, Towards the end, Ivar leveled Cedric with a big kick. Andrade drops Ivar. Eric drops Andrade with a knee. Garza comes back with a knee of his own to Eric. Ivar goes to the top and hits a big splash on Eric, Ricochet, and Alexander. Garza avoids the splash. Garza comes right back with the wing uh, chipper or clipper, I'm sorry, the wing clipper on Ivar for the win. And the new number one contenders, Andrade and Angel Garza. After the match, Andrade, Garza, and Vega celebrate as they have earned the SummerSlam shot to go against the Street Profits for the titles. We go to replays. Ford and Dawkins look on and applaud the new number one contenders. Andrade and Garza end up attacking the Profits, leaving them laid out in front of the announce tables, much like they did to them before their match the week prior. So, uh, yeah, um, interesting stuff. Uh, should be a good match. Still don't know how I feel about Andrade being in a tag team, but, you know, we're going with this whole entire concept. Until, I guess, they turn on each other. That's at least what we're assuming. Unless they win the titles, that'd be crazy. But uh, I thought this was a pretty good tag match, Chris. Theory tag matches can be the drizzling shits, but all these guys are pretty efficient in the ring. And uh, a lot of uh, a lot of fun spots. What do you think? Good matching, terrible booking. Weren't, weren't Andrade, and, uh, Andrade and Angel breaking up? Haven't they teased that with Selena yelling at them just like a week ago, two weeks ago? Slow burn, my friend. This is not a fucking slow burn. They're the guy version of the Boston Hunt connection. That's what I'm gathering from this. Basically, yeah. Um, so, you know, great wrestlers in the ring. They had a good match. I enjoyed the match itself. I fucking hate what they're doing with Andrade and Angel. They should have just left Angel on fucking NXT if this is what they were bringing him into. Also, like, remember that time where Austin Theory was part of this? <laughs> We didn't have a conclusion to that, which I guess the whole Austin Theory thing is up in the air in general. But Well, like, he went to uh, Seth's group afterwards. He screwed them over. But, uh, yeah, he hasn't been seen since. Yeah, but that was, like, the shortest, like, I'm in this group ever with no actual end. And, like, I don't know. They, they I don't know how you fuck up Angel, Garza, and, and Andrade since they're both great. But they find a way to do it week after week. And, and they're going to put the fucking tag belts on them. Because they don't have a tag team division. They don't know what to do there. So they're going to end up with the tag titles, and then it's just going to be Sasha and fucking Bailey. I'm, I'm just convinced on it. And they're going to tease them turning on each other forever, and it's never going to happen. Yeah, could. Definitely could. All right, well, Nia Jax is backstage talking to a referee. Um, and afterwards, we had uh, a match that was put impromptu between Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax. Back from the break, and Nia Jax is out, as is Shayna Baszler. The bell rings, and they start brawling. Jax sends Baszler to the apron and then the floor. She follows and launches Baszler into the puxy glass. The referees count and end up counting them both out from brawling outside. After the bell, uh, after a double countout, uh, Jax and Baszler continue brawling. Security tries to break it up, but Baszler applies the Corfita clutch on one of the guards. Jax shoves uh, producer Pat Buck into Baszler and Jax drops him. 
Jax drops Baszler off the apron. So now, after Nia Jax was apparently suspended for, you know, hurting a referee, now they both have done it and got themselves in a double countout. I don't really know where this is going, but, uh, you know, I guess they're trying to keep them both uh, safe, if you will. But what did you think about this, Chris? Unsanctioned match? Or parking lot match? Unsanctioned I mean, that, that's kind of where it seems like it's leading to. Are they going to do, like, some kind of weird cinematography or cinematic masterpiece that WWE does with these two? Where they're fighting in the street or something? I don't know. Because in theory, you just told us that she got suspended for beating up a referee and then Pat Buck almost just died. Which also, by the way, your producers shouldn't have better names than some of your people on NXT. <laughs> what was that fucking dude's name? Uh... <laughs> God, I can't even think of it now. Round Mountain or something. We talked about it on Wednesday. Uh, yeah. God, I can't think. The 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 rugby player. What was his name? Oh, um, yeah. I know what you're talking about, but yeah, definitely a terrible name. Well, you know what I'm saying? Like, Pat Buck is a better name. <laughs> uh sorry that just came to my head but uh yeah i don't know it seems like they're gonna do i mean in theory if you get suspended for attacking people you would assume that they're both suspended now and unsanctioned match but it's wwe so it'll probably just be like a tag match next week and like natalia will be one of their teammates or some shit all right so i want to talk about this because this is randomly in uh, a segment in between um a lot of other stuff with seth rollins so we'll just go over it first, but uh, it's kind of to unfortunately let everyone know that they're not going with something they originally are trying to do. Before there was, and you brought it up last week, I know Bully Ray was the one who brought it up on the bump. I know Mark Henry was talking about it. Um, there was apparently – the reason why we saw Farouk with all those other wrestlers, you know, talking to all of them, is there was a concept to bring back, if not the Nation of Domination, a modern concept for it. But Vince just didn't feel like it was worth it, and he nixed it. So Mark Henry was there for it, but instead they just showed him in a backstage segment talking to Bianca Belair and Ruby Riot, just very much out of nowhere. But apparently, apparently, I should say, many times, apparently, uh, they did have plans to do something like that, and then... Basically, like I said, Vince kiboshed it at the last minute. I thought it would have been very beneficial due to today's time to try something like that. It's edgy. It can be different. They can put it almost in a positive spin but still have that angry, militant-styled look to it. But it looks like we're not going to get that. Um, Do you think that's for the better or for the worse, Chris? If it was any other company, I would say it's for the worst, but it's WWE, so them trying to do this properly would scare the shit out of me. And, I mean, because even back then, some of the stuff they did with Nation of Domination, I mean, they had X-Pac and Blackface. So, (laughs) uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that there's a a group that you could come out of this, but if the idea was the group is going to tie into like black lives matter or something and WWE is going to be con- in control of it, that's fucking terrifying. So I could see why Vince might not want to pull the trigger on, on that idea.
is can they do something similar? So, I mean, you could just have a faction of badasses that are badasses. I don't know that they necessarily have to tie it into politics. I just, anytime WWE tries to tie anything into politics, it's always bad. It always ends up bad. Like, <laughs> my biggest problem, problem with it to begin with was the fact that, all right, say that you make the group with MVP, Bobby Lashley, Shelton Benjamin, you throw Farouk in there as like a manager, but like, kind of going back to his style and whoever else that you uh, put in there. The only problem is they're feuding with Ricochet, Apollo Crews. You know, I said this last time, it just, that's the one flaring thing. That's like a little bit, not uh, necessary. And you're keeping the new day on the other concepts. So they're away from it. So they would have to position it differently. I don't think they should have a bunch of African-American, you know, wrestlers in a group that's, pro-militant African-American rights and then have them fight a bunch of African-Americans they're the heels. I think that's kind of dumb. I think that is also kind of dumb. And the, the problem is, if you move away from that and you're going to put them against the Monday Night Messiah, what does that look like? And how can that get fucked up very quickly? And also, Farouk on TV, for most people that's watched over the past 20 years, is just a guy that says, damn. Damn! So, like, you know, people don't know that Ron Simmons is a former WCW champion and was part of APA. If, like, you know, let's say kids, like an 18-year-old watching, he may have never even seen Farouk in APA as a tag team. Or definitely not Nation of Domination. We're talking 97, 98 with Nation of Domination. Yep. So it's it's even hard to bring that back, and they don't do a good job of, like – showing historical events that would make that character that character. Uh, there's just a lot of things that would have went wrong with it. And also, there's nothing wrong with just MVP, Bobby Lashley, and Shelton Benjamin as a little faction with whatever they have going on. I don't know that it needs to be tweaked. I mean, having Mark Henry there as like an enforcer or something, sure. But I don't think you have to tie in this giant storyline to it. I know that for, for fans like me and you, it would be really cool nostalgic-wise to see like a new nation of domination, but also I know what the consequences of that would look like just because we we see what happens when WWE tries to do shit like this. I mean, look at the Jeff Hardy storyline, right? That's a good point. You want me to try, you want me to think that this company can do something that's not going to fucking offend people after watching Jeff Hardy shit on SmackDown. It's, it's going to be very hard for me to ever think that that was a good idea. But I, like I said, you could bring Mark Henry in, bring Farouk in. You can have them part of a crew. I just don't necessarily know that you have to tie it to politics. And I'm not against if another company tried to do this and did it well. I'm not even against that. It's just the WWE track record with stuff like this is just so suspect. So you're saying that New Jack should not join them? Well, fuck if New Jack joined them, you wouldn't have to worry about it because, like, He's just going to say whatever the fuck he wants anyways. <laughs> so they're going to hand him a script, and he's like, nope, we ain't doing that. What did he, what did he say about OJ? Two more dead. Like, <laughs> that, would be, that would be that would be bad in a different way. <laughs> if you're trying to get them heel heat, you would definitely get them heel heat <laughs> really quickly. Let's talk about something I don't know really gets heel heat so much, but uh, we had 
Um, Tom sent us to a video package of the Seth Rollins Rey Mysterio feud, and yes, they showed the golf, the not the golf ball, the ping pong ball, whatever the fuck it was for the eyeball thing. Um, Seth Rollins and Murphy are backstage now. Rollins asks if Murphy Murphy is with him. Murphy wonders if Dominic Mysterio will show up tonight. Uh, Seth believes he will show up and goes on about the greater good. Rollins says the greater good will move forward and things will be different. And uh, we go to the ring, and here comes Seth. Rollins takes the mic and says he should be happy about his Extreme Rules win over Rey Mysterio, but he's not. Why? Because Dominic Mysterio is here to confront him. This is becoming a reoccurring theme. Rollins says every time the greater good takes two steps forward, someone gets in his way and they have to take a step back. Rollins says it's unfortunate how when this happens, someone always gets hurt. He recalls how Kevin Owens, Mysterio, and last week Aleister Black got hurt. That's not how he wants things to be. He doesn't want to be the person who hurts others. That's not who the Monday Night Messiah is. Rollins recalls how Dominic jumped him the last time uh, he came to Raw and things got more violent than Rollins wanted. Tonight will be different. Rollins goes on about how he doesn't want Dominic to hide in the shadows and jump him. He wants no violence. He wants this to be the right way. He has a soft spot in his heart for Mysterio's family. Rollins goes on and asks Dominic to come to the ring to confront him face-to-face, man-to-man, so they can work this out. Rollins calls him to the ring and tells him, don't be afraid, come to Rollins' ring, and and do this the right way. Dominic finally appears on the stage, and Rollins encourages him to come into the ring. Rollins keeps talking and says he wants to give Dominic the chance to get things off his chest. Rollins says he is here for Dominic. He goes on, but Dominic charges, tackling Rollins. Dominic uploads, but one comes Murphy with an attack from behind. Dominic ends up double-teamed to the floor. The beating continues, and they launch Dominic into the barrier. The crowd boos, but the attack continues while Dominic is down. They send Dominic into another barrier as Rollins yells at him, asking him what's wrong. Rollins launches Dominic into the side of the announce table. As the boos continue, Rollins yells, some more and puts uh, more and looks to Dominic away, but Aleister Black makes a save and gets a huge pop by the small audience. Murphy and Rollins fight him. Uh, Black fights Murphy off, but Rollins sends him into the barrier. They double-team Black again and launch him into the Puxy glass. Murphy levels Black again at ringside. Rollins follows up with a stomp. Rollins looks at the steel ring stairs and tells Murphy he knows what he has to do. Murphy starts to hesitate. He asks Rollins if he has to be the one to do this. Rollins yells at him about being the greater good and being there for him. Rollins slaps Murphy and keeps hyping him up. Murphy finally takes Black over and sends his eye into the steps. Officials run over to check on Black. Rollins and Murphy are looking around ringside for Dominic now. Dominic suddenly attacks both of them with a kendo stick. Dominic snaps and keeps swinging. As they retreat off the stage, fans cheer Dominic on as Rollins and Murphy recover at the top of the ramp. All right, so I have a follow-up with Aleister Black related to recent rumors. 
before we get to that, I, I thought this was a pretty good segment. Um, I don't, I don't know what the hell they're doing with Aleister Black making him blind, I guess now, but this stuff and some of the stuff that they've done as of lately, minus fucking getting Rick or Rey Mysterio's eyes popped out of his skull with Seth has been better than the past. I don't know how, how much, <laughs> how, how much better that really is, but, uh, I will, I will give them that. Um, I will give them that. Uh, what'd you think, Chris? Well, I thought everything about this sucked except for they made Dominic look strong. So Dominic's a badass. I think the the storyline where Dominic chases them off with the kendo stick is all they really needed to do. I don't understand Aleister Black having one eye. If he comes back looking like fucking Solid Snake, I'm cool with that. Though I thought they could have just done that with Seth Rollins. It would be a good reset for his character if that's where they're going to go with this based on his very cryptic and weird tweet earlier in the week. I think that was what you were alluding to, right? No, actually, what are you talking about? So he had this tweet where he's talking about he... Yes. Yeah, let me pull it up so I don't slaughter what Aleister Black had going on. Um, Yeah, so he had this really weird cryptic tweet kind of i guess talking about his career thus far since he came to the main roster let's see well fuck is it gone now did he have to delete it maybe that's a thing well i posted it on our uh, our group thing I'm sure we could find it real quick um, yeah because it's not coming up on his page now on twitter so I don't know. Shit like that happens in WWE. Said it was on his Instagram. That, that might have been it. Alistair Black put... All right, so this... I, I want to kind of sum this up. This is the second part of why I wanted to go into. But there was a rumor um, started uh, by... Oh, come on, hold on one second. Let me get to the bottom of this article. Um, it was it, it was started by Shutri uh, uh, Sadbarhav of Sportkita, but apparently he was saying that Bluntly, Vince uh, doesn't doesn't have a lot of hope and or appeal towards Aleister Black. Um, and there was a follow-up from, from uh, Bleacher Report that differed from their sources. But the, the, the Instagram post itself said, it's Aleister Black, it says, And now I must rewrite four years of my own history by getting rid of that weakness, the same weakness that caused this betrayal. This is where my account uh, accountability ends and yours starts. So sounds from that, Chris, um, that he's kind of referring to Vince. But apparently from what Bleacher Report said and their source um, said uh, McCarthy from from Talk Sports and also Bleacher Report said that from the person he talked to, that Vince is a huge fan of the performer. He likes Tommy as a person. He thinks he has good size, agility, and skill, but he is worried the character is a gimmick that will limit him. And this is kind of the, the main thing that that's kind of the concerning concept is that it's being alluded that Vince is worried because everyone compares Aleister Black to The Undertaker of not taking him down that route, and uh, that was actually the main concern. Yeah. It's 
my question, this, I'm going to pose this question to you before I give my response on, on this Instagram post. What are they going to do with this character? Because they, his character, because they didn't give him anything in NXT other than just being a creepy guy that shows up out of the ground and Roundhouse kicks the fuck out of people with a cool theme song, which worked great. They had him talk in a closet for a long time on Raw. He won some matches. Where do you go with this? Like, what is the character reset? Does he go back to the closet? Does he come back with an eye patch? Does he... What What? What can you reset to based on how they booked him? You know, the funny thing is, Alistair said this, and it's kind of like, you know, with Warhorse being compared to the Ultimate Warrior and him being like, I'm not a big Warrior fan. Alistair Black didn't say that he wasn't a fan of The Undertaker, but he was from Holland. You know, he's from Amsterdam. So what he watched was British catch style on, you know, their, their uh, I forgot what the hell it's called, uh, World of Sport. And he also watched New Japan and All Japan. So some of his favorite wrestlers were European wrestlers or Japanese wrestlers. His three that give him the biggest influence are Great Muta, Hayabusa, and Jushin Thunder Liger. So when he finally was aware of Undertaker, it was years later. But there's always going to be that comparison, the look, the demeanor. Um, the stoic nature of the character, the fact that he, you know, he comes like a, a vampire, if you will, you know, at his entrance, um, and that he's a badass in the ring. But from at least what the rumor is stating is that Vince, it seems like he likes him. He's a, he's a locker room leader, you know, but the character itself might be too close to Undertaker and Vince doesn't know what to do with that. For a guy that has no problem putting the Undertaker concept or the Shawn Michaels concept on every other fucking wrestler, instead of trying to associate with them, try to power some of the mystique and the darkness that he had in NXT that they don't do on the main roster. If you're not going to do that, go the opposite way. Have him be a prize fighter. Have him be someone that goes and fucks people up. Maybe giving him a manager to be a mouthpiece, if you want. That's like, you know, he's still got a little bit of mystique, but now it's more on the fighting aspect because he's a competitive kickboxer. He's a competitive martial artist. He's done all that type of stuff too. So I just don't think that Vince knows what to do. It's like he's scared of putting the moniker on the next Undertaker on him, but he shouldn't have done that to begin with on anyone, including Bray Wyatt. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you there. I mean, I think you know. I think you hit the nail on the head. I don't have a, a good rebuttal for this one. <laughs> it's just unfortunate because it, I'm happy, I guess, that Bleacher Report saying that from what they heard, it wasn't that he was soured completely on Aleister Black. It's more that he doesn't know what to do with him. But even that, even him admitting that, Triple H did a hell of a lot with him, and I don't understand how Vince doesn't see what he can do with them because apparently Aleister is very polite. He helps out in the locker room. People like Roman and a lot of other people think that he is a perfect person for their brand and helping out. But Vince doesn't want to give him too much of, I guess, the dead man uh, concept. He wants him not to be so mystical. And I think it's either it's you either go in one direction, Chris, or you go in the other direction. You know what I'm saying with Aleister Black? You either make him this badass fighter that's into the occult. Or you make him much more mystic with his moveset and let him be kind of a modern Undertaker. I mean, 
why would you not just have him play the character he was in NXT where he was basically just a smaller version of Brock Lesnar roundhouse kicking the fuck out of people? He was, dude, he was Lesnar meets, he was kind of like a Lesnar meets Undertaker concept in, in NXT. He was perfect. And they never made it a thing to compare him constantly. And I feel like Vince is just thinking about that. Like, maybe he looks at Bray Wyatt as an uh, example that he shouldn't have compared him immediately to The Undertaker and had... A, you know, commentary, keep on saying that, like, he's the next Undertaker. It never helps out anyone. So. They should have also, they, they, they fucked up. Because he could have had a more interaction with the Undertaker when he was fighting with Seth Rollins, or with uh, AJ Styles. And they never had either of them meet at all, period. Like a little handoff, a little nud, you know, a nod to each other. Probably could have helped his, uh, he shouldn't be losing at all. Uh, I don't think it's just it's really ridiculous. And even when Paul was in charge, trying to bring him up through these vignettes of him in the fucking closet didn't help either. No, I don't know what they were going for there. It's uh, it's weird. It's it, that was I mean, we buried that shit. It was terrible. He's in a program set with Seth Rollins right now going forward. They should just be the two of them going after each other and having good matches. All right. I agree. Um, fucking so weird. I, it's gonna they be brought him up with in a tag team, and they've kind of buried both guys. It, it's it's their fault because Valister Black doesn't do enough either. NXT Triple H can be like, hey, can we fucking have him back? He's he's a star and he can help us out. Or you're gonna find out when his contract's out, and he's gonna go to fucking AEW and be a huge star over there. He's that talented. Yeah. Well, the pro- here's another problem, is they keep creating these mystic-type characters, right? So, in theory, if Aleister Black is going to come back and be reset, you would want to send him to another brand. But they can't send him to another brand because they have whatever the weird shit Bray's doing. So and they see them. Huh? Is it send him to the NXT then? Sure. We they need someone. Dollar. If you're gonna bring if you're gonna bring if you're gonna bring Keith Lee up, why not send him down? Yeah, that's a good trade, I think. But uh yeah, I don't know how that plays out. I, I'm very sad about the way they booked Aleister Black, honestly. I, I think they've given him some strong wins and put him in some big spots, but they it's clear they have no idea what they actually want to do with the character. Yep. Or or with the performer itself. Disappointing. Uh, speaking about performers, they don't know what to do with. Mustafa Ali is backstage when our truth walks up. As usual, truth is confused about something happening tonight. He says he's got his eye on Ali and will get his 24/7 title back. We go to commercial. When we come back uh, from the break, it's time for another musty edition of the VIP Lounge. The Hurt Business are in the ring. MVP Bobby Lashley. And 24 or WWE 24/7 champion Shelton Benjamin, MVP gives a grand introduction and welcomes everyone, but the crowd boos. MVP has the uh, WWE United States title belt on display once again. MVP says, "Last week didn't go as planned, but it's okay because he's had a chance to meet a young man and who had been gone for seven months or so. MVP wants to help this young man see the light." He introduces the music of the guests, and out comes Mustafa Ali. 
The music hits, and out comes Ali. MVP welcomes him. This is a good life where good things happen when you make the right decision, and bad things happen when you make the bad decision. Kind of like your friends, Ricochet and Cedric Alexander. Ali says he and his friends uh, put the Hurt Business out of business last week. Ali is happy to be back, happy to be on Raw, happy to be where opportunity to climb the ladder. Happy he has the opportunity to become a real champion. MVP ponders if he uh, means a real champion like MVP is the real United States champion. Of course, he did. MVP says all those things can happen for Ali if he hangs with the right people. Ali says MVP may be able to brainwash these two meatheads, uh, Benjamin and Lashley, but he thinks of himself and always has thought of himself. MVP says Ali isn't thinking too well right now. MVP reminds Ali he has to go up against the CEO of the Hurt Business tonight, Lashley. MVP goes on about how Apollo Crews once thought like Ali, but uh, now he's at home watching them have this conversation while on the couch. MVP says Ali can be a predator or chum in the water for predators. It's his decision. Ali doesn't care about the proposal. He said no, and the more he thinks of it, our truth suddenly attacks and knocks Shelton to the floor. Truth tumbles with him and covers for a two-count. Truth retreats, and we go back from commercial. Then we have a match between Mustafa Ali and Bobby Lashley. The ending would have Lashley goes out and brings Ali back in for a two-count. Lashley with a big strike while Ali is down. Lashley ends up catching Ali in a big elevated flatliner. Ali kicks out. More back and forth. Ali lands on his feet with from the Dominator. Ali with the boot to the face and a huge springboard DDT from the second rope. Crowd pops. Ali goes back and to the top for a 450 it, but must roll through because Lashley gets out of the way. They tangle some, and Lashley locks a full Nelson. Ali taps out in the middle of the ring after the match. The boos pick up as Lashley stands tall as his music hits. Benjamin and MVP join him to celebrate. We go to replays. So I like the promos. I thought it was good back and forth. You know, uh, Ali was sprinkly babyface, like I'm never going to join you guys. And I, I think that MVP has been on fire. Uh, lately on the mic. The match was fine. I thought it was a pretty good back-and-forth match, but obviously it had Ali losing his second match coming back. So I don't know how I feel exactly about that, but uh, what did you think about all this, Chris? Shout-out to Shelton Benjamin for wearing the Shad Gaspard shirt. Just say that right off the bat. thought that was cool. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Ali had a good promo and then just got beat. So the fuck does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> like... And he should get beat by Lashley, in theory, because they're not on the same level. They haven't done anything with Ali. Every time they bring him back, they start and stop him. He won one match. He'd been injured for a while. They gave him that hacker gimmick, or at least that's what we have to assume. And then they just moved him to Raw, and he won a match, and then immediately gets beat this week. So is he just done again? And also, they recorded both of those shows on the same fucking day. So... That's another problem with some of the booking that they have on the show is how the hell can you record <laughs> those two things in sequence and be like, that's going to get Ali over. Well, this is going to help out Ali, right? <laughs> it's like, no, I mean, it made 
<laughs> I mean, it made it look like he should definitely join MVP's group. <laughs> like, can't beat him, join him kind of thing is how I took it. Yep. Well, Charlie Crusoe is backstage with Dolph Ziggler now. He doesn't care which stipulation Drew McIntyre might pick for their match tonight. Ziggler goes on and says Randy Orton will have to wait just a little longer because Ziggler will win tonight's match with McIntyre and then go to SummerSlam to challenge for the WWE title. Um, and before we get the women's match, I guess I should ask you, was it stupid for Randy to have a promo about how he wants to take out McIntyre for the title before he has his match against Dolph Ziggler? I know that obviously most wrestling fans are not going to think, uh, you know, that Dolph Ziggler is going to get the fucking belt, but still, isn't that kind of giving it away right away? Well, I mean, yeah, hundred percent. And also it was supposed to be a title match according to last week and this week it wasn't a title match and it was filmed once again, filmed on the same day and they changed their mind. <laughs> before this week happened so uh yeah fucking weird for sure and it definitely did not give you confidence on like Dolph Ziggler having a single chance of winning this thing so not that I did to begin with I didn't think they were going to take it off McIntyre and give it to I mean we kind of jokingly talked about it where yeah maybe you move it to him but man that's uh it's unfortunate they had a good match yep I agree all right, then we had the uh, the Raw Women's title match. <laughs> Raw Women's uh, title match with Sasha Banks and Asuka. We'll just go over. It was a, it was a good match, uh, but we'll go over to the last part of it. Asuka crawls and makes it back to the ring right before a 10 count, just in time. Banks can't believe it. Remember, also, the stipulations were if there's... And it was supposed to go against Sasha or Bailey, but it ended up screwed over Asuka, spoiler alert, in this that it DQ finish, you know, if, if you lose by anything, if you lose by a 10 count, the championship goes to the other person. I've never heard that fucking done. But anyways, Oscar crawls and makes it back to the ring right before 10 count, just in time. Banks can't believe it. She argues with the referee and gets back down in Oscar's face and talks trash. Oscar counters and rolls Banks for a close two count. Banks goes right into the bank statement in the middle of the ring. Oscar tries to get free. But it's tightened. Asuka ends up getting free and hitting a big drop kick. We uh, see uh, SmackDown Women's Champion Bailey brawling backstage with Kari Sane. The fight is shown on the big screen, distracting Asuka and Banks. The brawl goes all over backstage, back and forth between the two. Asuka tries to focus as she hits a German suplex on Banks. We see Bailey dominating Sane on the big screen. Asuka takes Banks to the mat. And grounds her, but she's distracted by the beatdown on the big screen. Bailey talks some trash and dominates Sane now against the big bay door. Bailey continues to trash talking and beats on Sane as Sane screams out, calling for Oscar's help. Oscar is torn between finishing Banks off and rushing to the back to save her friend. Sane finally goes with helping her friend. She runs and gets a 10 count, and now there's a title change. Sasha Banks your new Raw Women's Champion after the match. Banks celebrates as her music hits. Bailey runs down, and the Golden Role Models now have all the gold, officially. Oscar finally reaches Sane backstage and screams. Banks and Bailey continue their celebration. So the other thing I would put in this is that one thing that upset a lot of people, more old-school fans that 
don't get bothered by this. This was pre-recorded. This is Kari Sane's last showing on Raw. She beat the champion the week before and obviously got her beat her ass beat by her this time. Um, so Kari Sane posted something on Twitter uh, saying that she had a great time with everyone and thanking everyone. She did it. She posted it, and I, I think it was unbeknownst to her. I don't think she meant it at all, but she posted it during this match. So some people that are more heavily invested in Twitter, um, you know, um, weren't happy about that because it kind of took pretty much everything away from the storyline itself. But to me, it doesn't mean anything. But if you ask, you know, Bully Raid or uh, what the hell is a guy that sounds just like Vince Russo that uh, does the uh, does the show busted open with Bully Ray, Chris? I don't know. I don't listen to that show because I don't want to hear Bully Ray vomit in my ear that long. Well, they were both bitching about this breaking kayfabe. I'm like, I don't give a fuck. But probably bad ill timing for, for her to put the exit. Like, I, I had a great time, blah, 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 during this match. But then again, if you're not so fucking in tune with Twitter, it's not going to bother you. I don't know. Either way, this match, the ending, was terrible. <laughs> I don't know how. The stipulations got put in place or how they made sense to put them in place, and it just made Asuka look like a fucking idiot. So, how'd you like this, Chris? Let's talk about this just from the rules standpoint, right? If you're the champion and you're in a normal match, right, what happens when you get counted out of said match? Um, You still keep the title, right, because it's a disqualification? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so Sasha Banks is the champion now, right? Yep. Okay. <laughs> that that pretty much sums up how I felt about all of this. <laughs> not to mention, like, Bailey laying in kicks on Carrie Zane does not look like something that would end her career or make her leave WWE. Especially when Nia murdered her, like, seven weeks in a row. So, <laughs> like, uh, it was all shit. I like the I like the idea of Sasha and Oscar having a program, but there had to be a better way to get there than this. Yeah, I think I have to tend to agree with you, man. <sighs> Very weird choices for sure. Um, all right, so back from the break, we see that what just happened with the title change. The announcers promised an update on Curry Singh's health to come, which they never follow up with. Anyways, Asuka is coming out of the trainer's room uh, now. Sarah Schreiber asks her for an update on Sane. Asuka is furious as she screams out. And then we had a very random match with Murphy and Humberto Carrillo. Uh, and Murphy picked up the win. And uh, it was a pretty good match back and forth. With two guys that have gotten beaten so many times, you just don't care. What would you think about this, Chris? I'm still stuck on the last match. Can you just show it on the big screen and have her take a roll-up loss for the title like normal, like normal shit that happens on wrestling? Um, nope. I guess not. Uh, Murphy versus Humberto. This is a good match. It was. Like, especially, it was a palate cleanser to set up for the main event. I like this match. I like Murphy a lot. I wish they would do more with him. And uh, Humberto, I don't know that they're ever going to be able to revive his career at this point, but he is also a really good wrestler, so they had a good match. 
All right, so after the match, Murphy stands tall as the music hits, and we get a replay. Uh, we get a video package of, on Dolph Ziggler and WWE champion Drew McIntyre. Drew is shown backstage talking to WWE Hall of Famer Mark Henry. And back from the commercial, we start with an Extreme Rules match. That's what Drew picked with Drew and Dolph. All right, it was a pretty good match. And the ending, uh, back for the break, and Ziggler is stumbling around. Drew brings it back in, but Ziggler with a cheap shot. Ziggler kicks Drew, but Drew comes back. An overhead belly-to-belly suplex happens, and then another. Drew goes to the top and nails a clothesline from another pop for another pop. More back and forth now with Drew in control. Drew has a future shock DDT blocked. Ziggler hits the Famouser. Ziggler goes to the top, but Drew cuts him off. Drew with strikes in the corner. They tangle some, but Drew remains in control. Drew hits a huge superplex for a pop. Drew ends up going for the Claymar, but Ziggler avoids it and delivers a zigzag out of nowhere. McIntyre still kicks out at two. Ziggler looks up to use a steel chair, but McIntyre counters and levels him with a big Claymore, which sends Ziggler through the leaning table in the corner. Drew covers for a pin. Winner Drew McIntyre. After the match, Ziggler rolls uh, to the floor, and Drew stands tall in the WWE title match as his music hits. We go to replays. We come back, and Drew is raising the WWE title as the music continues. And then Randy Orton suddenly attacks from behind with the RKO out of nowhere. Orton kneels down and takes a look at the belt as his music uh, starts up. Orton grabs the title and raises it over Drew as WWE goes off air. Uh, I thought it was a good match. I knew it was winning, so it didn't really matter. They might have actually had a better match, and I actually thought this uh, with Sasha and, and, and Asuka, uh, ending sucked, but I thought they had a better match than they did on the pay-per-view, just structured between the two of them. I also thought these guys had a better match than they did on the pay-per-view, but I liked it. It was uh, it was violent, and I loved Randy Orton coming in with the RKO that I saw coming, but you know, it was still out of nowhere. What do you think, Chris? With it being pre-taped and not no actual fans there, do you think that there's some magic that might be happening with some of these versus the live pay-per-views? What do you mean? Because I'm curious if they – because, like, other companies have done this in the past where they just will cut it and redo a spot. Oh, do you think that they're doing cuts? Yeah, probably. I would assume. Um, I'm just curious because uh, not this was a good match. Not taking anything away from them. It's a stupid match for Drew McIntyre. Why would you want a stipulation in any match? Dolph Ziggler didn't do anything enough to piss you off where you'd want to kill the guy. Um, so I don't know. From that, we talked about that last week, so I'm not going to go too far into it. But if you're the champion, putting yourself in any stipulation match is giving your opponent the advantage, unless your opponent is trying to get away from you. And then you can put them in a cage, and the idea is, like, they're so chicken shit they don't want to fight you, so you're keeping them in a cage or a pin. But, like, to put it in an extreme rules match, now you're at a disadvantage because you don't have the DQ rules, which also don't matter on this fucking show, apparently. So what the fuck am I talking about, Dane? Remember when I said that, like, me and you had various (laughs) varying opinions on this show? (laughs) This is part of the reason. It's a very good point, I will definitely say, you know. Um, but I liked the match for the most part, and I liked Randy Orton afterwards. Uh, here's a question to you, Chris. 
is Orton taking that belt off Drew McIntyre? I think so. All signs point to yes for me on this. But does I, that suck? I feel like Drew, kind of like John Moxley, and even to an extent Keith Lee. You know, one of the things that Chris Jericho said recently is that it's very hard to tell what the fuck is getting over right now because they have no way of telling. You know, they're doing this in front of audience members, but they build up of other wrestlers and the companies and stuff. So, you know, for these champions that don't have, you know, the direct audience there, your John Moxley's in AEW, your Drew McIntyre's, um, is that hindering them? of their potential of having a great title reign. Well, I feel like at least with Moxley, he's a known quantity, right? Um, same thing with Orton. And maybe that's why they're looking to shift the belt because you don't want fans to sour on it just because there's no crowd response. Because I, I feel like McIntyre was getting that one, two, three Claymore kick thing over pretty well, which the fans seem to be getting behind when he won the rumble. He seemed like he got a pretty big pop. But now you don't have that, so you have nothing to judge it on. So I, I do think there is something to that, and maybe sticking it on a champion, you know, a, a known, like I said, a known quantity, like a, you know, like an Ambrose or, or a Moxley or a Jericho or uh, a Cody or, you know, in this situation, a Randy Orton, to some extent makes a lot of sense because you know that Randy Orton has been there, people like him, people respond to his stuff okay. Uh, whereas Drew McIntyre, you knew it was working two months ago, but you have no idea now, right? All you can do is look at the ratings, and Raw's ratings are down, and he happens to be their top guy right now, which I don't think that McIntyre has been the problem at all, but he is the last guy in the third hour. It doesn't help if you tell them that the match doesn't matter in the fucking first hour, which is a different thing altogether, but I, I don't know how WWE as a company is perceiving him as a champion based on what their ratings look like. Yeah, I think I completely agree with you on that. All right, let's go over SmackDown, our last show for today. Um, this was last night. <laughs> uh, tonight, uh, I have to say, before we get into the package itself, I like what they're doing on SmackDown with these video packages, set up the matches where they have all the wrestlers kind of giving a little bit of a short promo on the inside of, of what's going on. Because tonight's WWE SmackDown on Fox opens up with a video package of John Morrison and Miz sending a warning to Big E and laugh at the idea of a singles run for him. Lacey Evans and Naomi uh, trade promos. And we had Grand Metalik and WWE Intercontinental Champion AJ Styles also having words for each other in a pre-recorded segment. I do like this. Um, do you think this is beneficial to kind of like set things um, set set things in motion basically for the show, Chris? With like they've been doing this the last couple of weeks. Sorry, my uh, computer glitched out there for a second. Yeah, I think that I think you're probably spot on there um, as far as just setting something up for the future. I like it. I think it's a it, it's pretty good. All right, so we go to another Firefly Funhouse episode. Bray Wyatt appears and said he's sorry. Uh, he was late as he was looking for WWE Universal Champion Braun Strowman, and he had like stuff on him that I guess is supposed to be from a swamp. They took <laughs> off. I don't know what the fuck it was. 
uh, champion who must be out in the bottom of the swamp unless the Gators got him, and he laughed about it. Wyatt jokes that part of Strowman's spirit will always be there. We see uh, a few flashes from the recent Wyatt swamp fight. Wyatt makes it clear that he never wanted to hurt Strowman. Now he wants Strowman and something Strowman has until he gets what he wants. None of anyone is safe. He, we got a flash of the fiend. Wyatt looks straight, you know, goes from nice um, to creepy and says, let me in. He snaps back out of there and waves goodbye for the end of the segment. And this would uh, set up, I think, one of the, even though in the most roundabout weirdest ways, probably one of the best fiend segments at the end of the show, or at least most shocking in a very, very long fucking time. But um, just the uh, the Firefly Funhouse by itself, would you did you like this? In short, no. <laughs> How? Why would he still have swamp shit on him, Dane? I don't know. I would have liked it more if they had had Braun, shown Braun Strowman fighting alligators like we talked about, uh, or yeah, fighting gators like we talked about last time. Um, and I, uh, there's a lot of stuff about uh, this whole Wyatt family conundrum that I did not like on this show. So I'll just set the tone now. No, I didn't. I didn't like it. I'm still soured off the, the horror story match or whatever the fuck they called it. It was bad. All right, we had the WWE Intercontinental title match. Grand Metalik going against AJ Styles. This match set up from a match last week where Chad Gable, Grand Metalik, Lindsay Dorado, and uh, someone else. I forgot. Oh, Drew Gulak went against each other, and Grand Metalik ended up winning. Um, pretty good match. You know, I was hoping for a little more high fly, or not high flying, but faster pace and they kind of slowed it down when i felt like they should have sped it up in some certain areas but it really was a kind of uh elaborate squash match i mean they gave grand metalik some chances to get forward uh within the match itself but at the same time uh aj overcome him so aj with a half crab uh now put the referee breaks uh what the hell Sorry. Anyways, uh, AJ keeps control of the whips, Metalik hard into the corner, sending him back down. AJ smiles. More back and forth. Metalik looks to mount some offense, but AJ counters, then misses an elbow drop as Metalik uh, gets out of the way. Metalik sends AJ face uh, out of the ring. AJ ends up bringing it back and kicking Metalik in the shin, sending him back. AJ looks to do some flying out but uh, Metalik takes him down off the apron. Metalik flies off the apron while AJ counters, and they hit the barrier hard. Both are down as we go to a commercial. And then back from the break, and Metalik ends up on top with a big crossbody, but AJ kicks out at two. The crowd rallies around Metalik, but AJ shuts him down. AJ goes for the gut and kicks Metalik around while he's done. AJ catches a kick and delivers knee strikes to the hurt leg. AJ takes Metalik right back down and locks him in while the referee warns him. Uh, AJ focuses on the leg some more. AJ grounds Metalik uh, in the middle of the ring, working on his leg, and Metalik screams out. AJ with a half crab now, but the referee breaks it as Metalik gets to the bottom rope. AJ kicks Metalik while he's down some more. Metalik uh, unloads while up on one leg. Metalik with a close pin attempt, 
They triangle some, and Metzalik hits a big tornado TDT for another close two count. Metzalik goes to the middle, uh, to middle ropes, and hits a big missile drop kick. AJ still kicks out. And then Metzalik scoops AJ on his shoulders, but his knee goes out. AJ uploads Metzalik with a flurry of big strikes, dropping him on the, with a clothesline. AJ goes off the apron, the phenomenal forehand, but has to roll through as Metzalik dodges it. Metzalik comes back with an enziguri, and they both go down. Metzalik leaps off the middle rope again, but AJ knocks him out of the middle air. AJ covers, but Metzalik kicks out. They go on, and AJ ends up rolling Metzalik into a calf crusher in the middle of the ring. AJ pulls back on the hold, and Metzalik taps out. After the match, AJ stands tall as the boos get louder, the music hits, and we go to replays. AJ is making his exit, but he stops and takes out Dorado with a cheap shot. The boos pick up, and AJ drops Dorado in the middle of the ring with the Styles Clash. AJ raises the title and leaves. So it sounds like we might get a Lince Dorado match with AJ Styles. This is all building up AJ. I'm fine with it. Um, I mean, I, th- I think if people have a problem with him, you know, having matches like this is the same type of people have a problem with Cody having matches like he's having for the TNT title. But I, I like this. Um, I mean, it really, it was, it was a longer match, Chris, but it was still technically a squash match. Every type of offense that Grand Metalik would put against AJ, AJ would shut down almost immediately, and he finally got the win. So uh, I liked it. What did you think about this match? I thought it was a very, very good match for what it was. It was a longer format match. I thought there was really good spots. And right now, in their company, AJ Styles is the best champion they have. So do you want to sacrifice him to Grand Metalik, who's not been used at all? Or do you want to set up a feud down the line with Lince and maybe have Lince win the title or something? So, like, I had no problem with this. I saw this online, too, where people were freaking out about this. This is not the same thing as, like, Cody beating a, an indie star coming in. Um, this is these are people that have been in the company for a while and have done dick all. So to even have a good match with AJ Styles to me makes you look better. But maybe I'm just completely fucking crazy, Dane. I don't know at this point. One thing that I thought was really cool that they noted that Corey commented on, and it kind of ties into some of the information that we found out, is that you know Michael Cole starts talking about like how Daniel Bryan is the one behind this and really wanting someone to give great competition for AJ Styles and have a competitive intercontinental title reign. And Corey's like, what the fuck? How, how does, how does Daniel Bryan have the authority to do that? And technically in storyline, he doesn't. But in reality, we found out that two of the people that are working on the writing of the storylines um, that have been in place and have kind of for a minute, mainly with Daniel Bryan with the IC belt run and also Edge, what's going on with Randy Orton, they're actually now two main writers on both those shows. So we have Daniel Bryan on SmackDown and Edge on Raw. I think Daniel Bryan's kind of nursing an injury, a small injury, and also staying away from there for whatever health uh, aspects. And Edge is definitely, he's on the fence right now. So it's kind of cool that they're allowing actual wrestlers to help write with all their fucking TV writers. I agree. Uh, right now is the perfect time for AJ Styles to become the macho man of this generation where his belt is more important. It's seemingly going that way. I mean, in, in a lot of ways he is, man. He definitely is. 
I mean, right, at least so, at least with AJ Styles, it doesn't really matter who you put him against. You're going to have a good match. And if they continuously put that on TV, similar to what they're doing with Cody, you don't have to do the same storyline. But if you give him good opponents and you can build just decent wrestling storylines around that, that's probably the most entertaining thing on their main product. I would say so. Now, kayfabe, though, how does Daniel Bryan have this influence to make AJ have to do these competitive matches every week? That was a pretty good line from Corey. Did he ever get fired as being GM, or did he just stop being GM? I think he just stopped. Okay, so technically I guess he's still the general manager. That's what I would have said if I was Cole, but then I probably would have got fired for being a dick about not <laughs> following up on the past WWE. I mean, he was a general manager once, Corey. I think he has some influence in the front office. Uh, that would have been my response, but uh, yeah, it was a funny line from Corey Graves. Yeah, I definitely liked it. All right, so this is interesting. I'll give I'll give it this. It's interesting. Don't know how I feel about it exactly, but we go backstage and King Corbin walks up to Shorty G watching uh, what just happened. Corbin is trying to talk to G, uh, you know, talk him up, saying he could have been out there competing. Shorty G says, so how they're just supposed to be friends now? Corbin says they've always been friends. Corbin calls him chad and he goes on about how chad has been overlooked and then uh the barefoot idiot comes in and gets all the opportunities g sees what's happening that gorbins just wants him to take out mad riddle corbin dismisses this idea just wants g to see how he's been doing what he's been doing wrong in wwe but uh corbin does say that the king's ransom is still on the table and therefore, G, if he wants to be the one to take out Riddle, and then Corbin walks off. Uh, this would kind of set up stuff for later on, but what did you think about this concept of an alliance with Chad Gable, you know, hopefully going back to Chad Gable, especially when uh, Baron started calling him Chad, uh, but him kind of influencing him and the possibility of us getting a match with fucking Matt Riddle and Chad Gable in the future. I'm kind of down for this. This is the, the, the most they've done with this character in a very long time. I As much as there's things I dislike about Corbin, I like the King Ransom, the King's Ransom idea. It's very Harley Race, um, as we've talked about in the past. And uh, calling him Chad, bringing up his uh, Christian wrestling name, so to speak, I'm <laughs> excited for. And if you're asking me if I want to see fucking Chad Gable versus Matt Riddle, that'll probably be the best match on any card they put them on. So... I fucking, yeah, definitely want to see that. So I like this a lot. Um, even though I'm not a huge fan of the King Corbin gimmick necessarily or how he's been utilized, this is a good way to utilize him, pinning other people against each other. I just hope it doesn't end with, like, uh, you know, somehow he ends up just demolishing Matt Riddle uh, at the end of it. It would be cool if, like, you know, you get a series of three matches and somehow Gable comes out on top and then Corbin turns on him and then you can do that for you but uh yeah i don't know it's it's a weird spot for matt riddle because he's coming in as a guy they're gonna they were gonna try to push to the top and once again the top is just consumed with uh wyatt right now which is once again that's why i'm saying like aj styles is probably your macho man of this time period at least on smackdown for sure so is braun hulk hogan Well, Braun's not technically champion, right? 
I don't know how you lose the title, but I think if you die in a match, you're not the champion anymore. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> like, you know, in any other sport, if you die during the match, uh, <laughs> you, I think you lost. All right, so the announcers show a, uh, a video package of the bar fight in which uh, Jeff Hardy won. We see Jeff Hardy walking backstage now. He's greeted by several WWE superstars and officials. Otis hugs him, and the others congratulate him. Jeff greets them back, and we return from commercial. Uh, back from the break, and out comes Jeff Hardy to a huge pop. He's all smiles. Jeff takes the mic and says he hasn't felt this good in a long time. These past months with Sheamus have been tough, and as he's been constant reminder of how dangerous his demons can be, Jeff says sobriety will be a never-ending challenge, and he will have to face it every day. But beating Sheamus in the bar fight was a reminder he's on the right path. Jeff Hardy says he's an alcoholic, but he's so much more than that. He's a loving father, husband, and he's a WWE superstar. He gets to perform in the ring for the fans, and he loves that. Jeff goes on and says he, uh, he never wants to let down anyone again. Struggle is real. And will fight it every day, but he's grateful to be here. He goes on about the music and is interrupted by King Baron Corbin. So King Corbin is tired of hearing Jeff talk about his sobriety. The crowd boos. Corbin says Jeff is supposed to be the charismatic enigma. What's up with the crying and whining about his recovery? He goes on and mentions the problems with Matt Riddle and tonight's match with Drew Gulak. Corbin feels like he's losing his mind, like his kingdom is an insane asylum. Jeff says maybe the real problem is Corbin. Corbin goes on, running Jeff down as Jeff just shakes his head in the ring. Crowd boos. Gulak suddenly attacks Corbin from behind the stage, and we go to a commercial. All right. Um, uh, is this just going to be about Jeff, Jeff Hardy until he, like, leaves? Is him battling addiction by coming back from the Seamus shit? Like, what do you think, Chris? I got to be. Is it battling addiction if you never fell off the wagon <laughs> to some extent? <laughs> or is it just someone being an asshole to you? <laughs> um, I mean, I guess you battle addiction every day. This is such a fucking stupid storyline. This is the best thing you can think of from a form to... A legend like Jeff Hardy, a number one, like going into the Hall of Fame as soon as he's done wrestling or even before then. This is the best shit you could come up with for Jeff Hardy coming back off an injury. Like, this is it. This, this is where we live now, Dane. Uh, once again, very disappointed. I thought maybe once they moved past the fucking Seamus shit, we would get something different. Yeah, they're just going to do this until Jeff leaves, which if I'm him, I'm, unless they're going to have me... Uh, hold the title or something for a year, I'm probably out. Or pay me, like, Brock Lesnar money. I mean, if they're paying him, like, Brock Lesnar money on this next contract, then, like, maybe stick around. All right, so next we had Drew Gulak going against King Baron Corbin. Back from the break, and the match is already underway as as King Corbin and Drew Gulak go at it. Gulak takes Corbin down by his arm. Corbin gets up delivers a knee to the gut it was a pretty good lengthy match um showing off you know both guys um 
I really, I'm one of those guys that don't think that Baron Corbin's that bad in the ring. He actually, he does a play as a heel with the psychology of it. And uh, I still like his finishers. And I like Drew Gulak. I think he's a technical wizard. But Gulak goes to the top of the flying clothesline. Corbin still kicks out after two. Corbin scoops Gulak, but Gulak sides out. Corbin comes right back with a deep six. Bro suddenly uh, hits on the audio, and we hear Matt Riddle come out to watch the match from the stage. Corbin is briefly distracted, but goes back over and gets pulled into a pin attempt. Corbin comes right back and hits end of days for the pin. Uh, the winner being King Corbin after the bell. Riddle immediately rushes the ring and goes to work on Corbin from behind. And uh, Chad Gable makes a save from behind and ends up hitting a big German. I love his rolling Germans. He basically takes it, rolls over, and then gives a giant suplex. Awesome. Uh, he hits it on Riddle, dropping him on his head as Corbin smiles. Chad stands tall and looks back at Corbin as the crowd boos. Chad motions to Corbin for the money as Corbin's music hits, and we go to replays. Corbin joins Corbin on the ramp, or Chad joins Corbin on the ramp, and they both make a gesture for money. Corbin rants about being his kingdom as they back up the ramp together. So obviously, we have that whole aspect is that you know, he's offering this. Does he actually have the fucking money to pay for it? So that should be interesting. But, hey, man, like I said, Matt Riddle versus Chad Gable sounds fucking awesome to me. Yeah, sounds awesome to me. Like, here's a question. Is Corbin feuding with, like, four people at the same time, though? Basically. Okay. Because, like, he gets attacked by Gulak while berating Matt Hardy and then attacked by Matt Riddle for Shorty G to make the save. Did I not? Did I good? Is that a good synopsis of what happened during this like 15 minutes? I think so. I thought the match was good. Jugu likes awesome. Uh, I like it once again, like we talked about earlier, if the idea is you're going to get, I don't, I'm not calling him fucking Shorty G. If you're going to get Chad Gable (laughs) versus Matt Riddle. um, Yeah. Good storyline. I mean, I guess the, does this lead to a tag match with Gulak and uh, this tag match next week, right? I'm assuming. With, sure. With Gulak, Riddle versus Shorty G and Baron Corbin. I would hope so. But then, like, what the hell does Jeff Hardy have to do with this? <laughs> Why did he get interrupted by Corbin? I don't know. I, I sadly think that somehow we're going to go from Corbin when he's done with Matt Riddle to Corbin and then fucking Jeff Hardy. Yeah, that sounds... I don't know. They might have a pretty decent match. Who knows? That's the thing is, like, all of Jeff Hardy's matches have been good, but it's just so overshadowed by how shitty the storyline's been. I used to be an alcoholic, but now I'm not. Yay! Well, I mean, Jeff, you you weren't just an alcoholic. I mean, they did find, like, a... Never mind. We don't want to go down that road. It'd be a long-ass podcast. Well, we had, um, next we had The Miz going against Big E, his, his single debut, if you will, um, for his new uh, singles run. And it was a pretty good match. I'd definitely check it out. At the end of it, Miz drives knees into Big E's uh, huge leg while he's down. Miz uses the middle rope. Morrison gets on the apron again for a cheap shot, but this time the referee sees it. The referee ejects Morrison. Um, after that, and then Miz pleads with the referee as Morrison makes his exit, 
insisting he didn't do anything wrong. Big E comes from behind and rolls Miz for a two count. Big E goes right into the stretch muffler submission, which was awesome, and Miz taps out for the finish. So Big E showing more range in his arsenal. Uh, after the match, Big E stands tall as his music hits. Big E yells about how nothing can stop him, and he's coming. The referee uh, checks on the Miz, who's not, who's uh, completely fucked up. But uh, I really, I like this match. This is really good selling, man. Uh, I like seeing the the stretch muffler applied because that's something that I've seen Biggie do, but not often. So he's trying to show more of an arsenal. I liked how one thing that's hindering Biggie is that he doesn't have Xavier or Kofi there, and the situation where Miz has John Morrison. It almost got the better of him until John Morrison fucked up and got ejected. So I like this. Uh, this is a good start and a good person to get a win over, I would think, Chris. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, as far as having a better match, I probably would have switched the roles a little bit, had Morrison in there with Big E. But uh, it was a good match. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't the best match I've ever seen, but storyline telling and what they're trying to do with Big E, I, I liked it overall. Um I hope they don't just kibosh this and they actually let Biggie have a little bit of a run because he's deserving and he's also a former Intercontinental Champion, which they forget about a lot of times, former NXT Champion. Um, so it would be cool to see him have like a really good singles run, maybe even a championship run at some point if they can ever figure out what the fuck is going on with the heavyweight division. Um, but yes, I like this match. Uh, I'm assuming next week you get Morrison versus Big E. Probably. With some 50-50, so this time they actually screw him over kind of thing would be my guess. But uh, You know, I'll... if John Morrison wasn't held back by the Miz and going for the IC belt and that whole entire division. If they treated Morrison like a star as opposed to a sidekick to the Miz? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, you know what? I, I bet John's not too upset about this. <laughs> Probably not. I mean, he had other offers to go other places, and I'm sure they paid him a fuck ton of money. And, you know, whatever, him and Miz are friends, and it is what it is. It's just, uh, if you go back and watch any of the shit Miz was doing, or Morrison was doing beforehand, where he's doing slides under guardrails and shit and impact and Lucha Underground, it's just kind of disappointing that they can't find something for him to do that's not being Miz's sidekick to some extent. Still wish got a dream match that I wanted to see between him and Kenny Omega that we actually got to talk to him about. Hmm. Oh, well, what are you going to do? Smackdown. Or, I mean, I mean, or just him in NXT with any yeah. of the guys there, right? Like Adam Cole. Good point. Good point. Adam Cole <laughs> would have an awesome match. Him and Gargano would have an awesome match. Him and Roddy Strong would have a fucking bring the house down match since Roddy Roderick Strong is my new most underrated wrestler of all time, apparently. <laughs> I agree with you though. Alright, we had a couple of vignettes. We had a SmackDown tag team champion Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura. They're backstage celebrating when Lindsay Dorado and Grand Mentalite come in. Nakamura asks if they like to party too, and they do. Cesaro reminds them that this is a party for champions only. They taunt Metalik for blowing his title shot for the Intercontinental Champion Age, with AJ earlier. They dismiss Lucha Party and keep taunting them as they leave. So I guess they're setting that up. And also back from the break, your favorite wrestler, Sheamus, is backstage. He first 
His first mistake in the bar fight was putting Jeff Hardy in a bar, basically giving him home field advantage. Ugh. Sheamus says even though not a drop of booze touched Jeff's lips, he was powered by alcohol. Sheamus says that he's basically in a handicap match against Jeff and his longtime friend Alcohol, but he's not here to make excuses and complain, even though he just did. What's done is done. Sheamus says it's just a matter of time before Jeff slips up. He will just watch as nature takes his course, as Jeff uh, is not his problem anymore. Sheamus says this is bad news for the SmackDown locker room because now Sheamus is their problem. He puts his hat on and walks off camera. What would you think? So he buried Jeff Hardy going out of a feud to feud with someone else? Essentially, yeah. Yeah, I thought it fucking sucked because, one, you just lost to the guy, then you buried him on a promo, and there's not going to be a follow-up between him and Jeff Hardy per this promo. So what the fuck was the point of any of this? I don't know, man. Look, this is not a I hate Sheamus thing because I think Sheamus has had some good matches and I liked him in the bar and, and he's a good wrestler. But what yeah. they're asking him to do right now is fucking he's terrible. He's not the one at fault. It, the, the per- yeah, exactly. What they're asking him to do is fucking awful. I just wanted to clarify because in the past I have said that Sheamus does work unsafe at times, which I think is well documented. But I do think that he can be a really good wrestler and can have good matches like he's had good matches with jeff just the like i said this is just a looming great cloud over sheamus right now because of the storyline which kind of sucks for him i don't know and that's what i said to begin with this isn't going to get him the kind of heel heat that he like that they think it's going to get him it's just going to make people not like him as a performer yep all right so next we have lacey evans against naomi again Instead of building this for a pay-per-view, they decide to have, I guess, 50-50. Well, no, I think she beat now Lacey Evans twice, uh, last week and this week, but whatever. Uh, The whole Naomi deserves better thing, I don't know if you heard about the controversy of Booker T commenting on it and saying that he can't believe the influence social media has and that it's not so much Naomi, but if she wants to get herself over, she's already had a pretty damn career itself and that she should be doing it by her actions in the ring and not by it kind of being forced by a bunch of fucking fans basically online and got a lot of crap from Sasha Banks and other wrestlers for saying that, even though I technically kind of tend to agree with him has nothing to do with Naomi. And I don't think he was trying to position that at Naomi, but this whole concept of, Hey, we're going to put a hashtag out and that's going to just, you know, bring prominence. Naomi collectively is still a champion who won her championship in her hometown at WrestleMania. So as much as I really do like Naomi, and I I agree with that hashtag, I kind of tend to agree with Booker T for what he's trying to say, is that maybe the substance isn't the fact that you're not flashy in the ring and you don't have a great look. It's maybe that you're not making it compelling to the audience. Now, the flip side of that that I will say before we talk about the match itself, and I'll give you a chance to, you know, talk about this, Chris, is that Naomi hasn't been featured enough to be able to get back to prominence, and that's bad booking. That's not her fault either. So I get what Book's saying, but I also can see the flip side of why fans would think that she deserves more and it's not happening because of the fact that they're just not utilizing her until now. What do you think? 
who started the hashtag? Did Naomi start the hashtag? Did WWE no. start the hashtag? Or did a fan start the hashtag? Yeah. Okay. So if a fan started the hashtag, they're actively trying to tell the company, like, hey, this is someone that we're into. And if a bunch of people jump on that bandwagon, the whole point is to push, push people that the fans want to see. Right? Good point. So... I love Booker T, but I'm going to have to disagree with him on this. If, if WWE didn't start the hashtag, Naomi didn't start the hashtag, and it just caught on because fans are saying it, that's the same thing Daniel what that happened with Daniel Bryan with the Yes Movement. They were trying to bury this guy. Fans were like, no, fuck you. We like Daniel Bryan. And eventually, regardless of how they tried to book him, they got behind him. So what they should do, as opposed to waiting for that to happen is have Naomi win some matches and maybe challenge for a title shot. That's a good point. It's a very good point. I mean, Don't at the end at the end of the day, you're selling to the fans. You're not selling to... Uh, you're selling to the broad audience. And if the broad audience is saying someone, like, deserves to be in your title picture, especially when your title picture is a tag team of two people we've seen forever that are supposed to be feuding but really not, um, maybe you should fucking listen to them. It wouldn't hurt you. Well, the match with Evans and Naomi uh, would end up with Evans uh, trapping Naomi's hair in between the two parts of the steel steps. Crowd booed. Evans returned to the ring and waited for the countout. Uh, Naomi frees herself and comes back, but Evans launches her across the ring to continue to dominate. Naomi catches Evans out of nowhere with a big kick, sending her to the floor. Naomi runs and slides out, hitting some sort of modified sunset bomb on the floor. Naomi brings it back for a two count. Naomi looks to mount more offense, but Evans counters and sends her to the turnbuckle. More back and forth. Then Evans goes for the woman's right, by Naomi, but Naomi counters and backslides her for a three count. After the match, Evans is shocked as Naomi exits the ring and celebrates while her music hits. Evans goes to the announce table and rants, yelling at Grave to start a hashtag for how she deserves better. Naomi yells at Evans from the stage. What do you think about this? See, this is where the hashtag becomes a problem because now you're tying it into the storyline. <laughs> um, so Lacey Evans is a heel now? Unfortunately. Okay. So she's the big show of female wrestling? Ugh. <laughs> I thought this match was was pretty good. Honestly, um, Lacey Evans has gotten a lot better in the ring and, and Naomi's always been good. So I like the match itself. It's good for Naomi to get another win. This is going to draw this feud out, but it's like, I don't know where you're going to put it unless you just throw it on a pre-show somewhere because there's no title involved because you're, you have your titles locked up with also your tag team champions, which is a different problem altogether. Um, you get where I'm going with this. But, uh, yeah, I, like, I liked the match itself. I thought it was pretty decent. I don't like them bringing in the hashtag thing as part of the storyline. If it if, if they didn't plan it originally, then that's weird. All right, so the next segment was pretty weird. We had a promise last week of more on the storyline with Mandy and Otis, which has been messing from television for the last couple of weeks. So Mandy Rose and Otis are backstage. Rose says it feels like a long time since they've had a proper date. She books a table at Otis's favorite barbecue spot. 
a table in the back so no one can see how much they eat. She goes on teasing him with a description of the peach dessert, and he's loving it. Uh, the only problem is that I think that she was trying to be subtly a little bit more sexy about it, and I think that, honestly, Otis was just thinking about peach cobbler. So uh, she goes on teasing him with it, with it, and then she tells him to go get ready. She will do the same, and they will meet back here. They go their separate ways, and we see Sonya Deville doing a uh, Dexter Loomis in the background, uh, just staring at them. She was listening to their conversation and doesn't look happy. And then back from commercial, um, we see Mandy Rose doing her makeup in the back. Sonya Deville suddenly attacks. Screen brief, blah, briefly glitches like it was doing several weeks ago. Uh, Deville talks trash while beating Rose around. The screen glitches a few more times. Deville keeps the attack going and kicks Rose in the face. Uh, Deville grabs a pair of scissors and starts cutting Mandy's hair off. Uh, Deville says Mandy's ruined her life and now she's going to ruin hers. You didn't believe me? Deville sends Rose back down to the ground, uh, smears lipstick all over her face, which was kind of, it worked because she wasn't bleeding, but it kind of looked like it, I guess, from that. Deville goes back to the makeup table. Um, she grabs a pair of clippers and turns uh, them on. She goes to shave Rose's head, but finally uh, Adam Pierce and a bunch of referees rush the area and don't allow her to do it. They stop DeVille from doing any further damage. DeVille grabs a chunk of Rose's hair off the ground and said she's, uh, she got what she wants. DeVille leaves while Rose sobs on the ground. Pierce calls for help. We briefly go to the announcers, but Cole sends us back to Kayla Braxton. We see trainers checking on Mandy Rose. Otis and Tucker are also checking on her. The Miz and John Morrison are talking to Braxton. They make light of the situation and crack jokes. Tucker yells at them to get out of here, and they leave in a hurry. So I guess we're setting up for next week probably uh, heavy machinery against Miz and Morrison. And, uh, yeah, that was all the stuff before the main event. And I liked where they went with this. It was kind of darker. I like Sonya Deville being kind of crazy now. And uh, I'm very surprised that, you know, Mandy was, was willing to lose her hair and go to, like, a short haircut, I guess, is what she's going to do from this. But uh, good stuff, peppering it in back in there. But is it too late? Have people lost interest in this whole storyline with the three of them since they haven't done anything in a couple weeks? Or did this actually bring it back to where it was, Chris? I think it brought it back to at least being kind of mid-card, right? Or something you can put on your show. Um, I liked it. I thought it was pretty pretty well done as far as a uh, as far as an angle. Um, what's weird is Otis still has the money in the bank, right? I think we lost you for a second there. What'd you say, buddy? Otis still has the money in the bank, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I like I like the storyline, this outside things that are going on with Sonya Deville and Mandy Rose, because I feel like it gives them something to do. And it's a good opening mid-card thing they can do on SmackDown. Um, is Otis going to be the person that puts down one of these Wyatts? Oh, God. Because if so, I'm totally in for that. He, he's, he's, a, he's the hero we need right now, but not the hero we deserve. So... <laughs> Maybe 
I guess you can have a situation where, where Bray and Braun destroy each other, and then he comes out and pins Braun and gets a title, came that whole entire thing, and then you can do Big E versus Otis. Sure. I'd rather see Big E versus Otis than another one of those swamp matches. <laughs> Big man slapping meat. Yeah. Sure. Why not? I mean, that's their that's their way out of where they booked themselves and uh, this shit we're about to talk about. Yep. All right. So we had our last match. All right. So hold on. Let me find out where my place was. No, that wasn't it. All right. So the SmackDown Women's Title match: Nikki Cross getting her rematch against Bailey. Um, pretty good match, but the ending would have Cross gets dropped. Bailey goes to the announce table and mocks Cross with her antics. But here comes Cross with more offense. Banks gets dropped off the apron by Bliss. Cross drop kicks Banks through the ropes. Cross goes back to the top rope and hits a crossbody onto Bailey. But Bailey rolls through for a two count. Cross with a two count of her own. They triangle some more and Bailey kicks out with a two. Cross ducks a clothesline and backslides Bailey for a two. Bailey comes right back and drops Cross on her face for the pin for the win. Uh, before we go to the next part, uh, what do you think about the match between Nikki Cross and Bailey? I thought it was pretty good. It may have been. Well, let me look at the card again real it was quick. Better than their their last match. I do as well. And if it no, no, I was gonna say it may have been the best match on the show, except for the AJ Styles Grand Max League match. But that was kind of like a squash. But yeah, I thought this match was really good. Um, everything after it. <laughs> is more of the problem. See, I think that me and you differ from that because I actually liked a lot of this stuff. So after the match, the music hits as Bailey recovers and banks and we go to replace banks and Bailey head to the stage with all the gold as bliss checks on a disappointed cross in the ring Cross is completely disgruntled, tells her to back the fuck off. The music stops as the champs exit uh, cross slowly gets to her feet as the crowd cheers her on, Bliss apologizes and tries to talk to Cross, but Cross isn't feeling it. Cross shoves Bliss to the mat and walks off with some booze. Bliss is left alone in the ring. The lights suddenly go out. They come back on, and a familiar red glow is over the ring while an eerie horror sound is playing over and over. The Fiend is standing behind Bliss in the ring. He circles her as she looks up from the mat, terrified. The Fiend kneels down in her face and stares at her. He raises his hand for the mandible claw. The fiend slowly brings his hand back down and puts the claw in Bliss's mouth as people start booing again. The fiend takes Bliss to the mat with the claw as we go to the ending. Smackdown on, on Fox goes off the air. So, all right, I'll say this. Do I think it's dumb that they're really trying to associate Alexa Bliss in the whole Braun Strowman storyline based on the fucking um, whatever intergender thing that they did? Yes, it didn't work for me in the last thing, but this is probably the most, I would say, craziest or this is this is uh, one of the more like fucked up things that The Fiend has done in a very long time. And to me, it was effective. I don't know really what it's supposed to do since Braun is apparently nowhere to be found after the whole Swamp match. But trying to associate him with, with, with Bliss is kind of dumb. 
There is rumors, though, that Alexa Bliss wanted a character change, so this could be the host, I guess, of Sister Abigail if they wanted to go about that. I don't know really how that would work out. Um, it's interesting, but yeah, as far as this reminding me more of the shit that The Fiend was doing at the beginning of his run, taking out people, and it definitely was, to me at least, um, more uh, shocking with him doing it to Alexa Bliss. Probably because she is female and all that type of stuff, but did not see that coming at all. Chris, why don't you completely cut this down? I'm not going to completely cut it down. I, I didn't like it. I'll say that. Um, I, I do like they followed up on her being part of Braun's flashback in the swamp from that horror match. So I liked that. Uh, I like the Fiend attacked her. More of the problem is that Braun's dead. He died, right? <laughs> so is Bliss just part of this crew? There's there's not been anything said about Braun since the pay-per-view. Um, and then also, what is this? Like, I know that we say character change, but what is the character change? Is she just, is, is Braun coming back to save Alexa Bliss? Or is Alexa Bliss just part of this weird thing? And that's... None of it I'm super excited about because you just showed me that Braun died in the swamp. Uh, so that's more of why I didn't like it. I think if like Braun would have just lost or gotten beat up and, and we saw him the past two like past two weeks or something, maybe it wouldn't have been like if this would have been a normal wrestling segment where he's him and Bray have been going at it for two weeks. And then the fiend shows up and does the same mandible claw. And now Braun has even more reason to hate them. It makes more sense. But I literally watched a man die in a swamp with blood coming up out of the water. So what is the tie-in? Um, and also your whole entire main event and title picture is tied up in this shit. I don't know, man. I don't know. Do you think that uh, Alexa Bliss can become uh, Sister Abigail? Sure. I like the idea better when it was going to be Bray being Sister Abigail. I think they should go back to that, where he just plays both that characters. That was definitely interesting. <laughs> like, where it's almost like a psycho uh, Norman Bates kind of thing. I liked that a lot better than just having Alexa Bliss play it. But, I mean, I mean, how much of this do we need, though? She's going to be possessed, I guess, would be the storyline. She is possessed by the spirit of Sister Abigail, who currently lives in a puppet. So we're going to go full-on Chucky, the original. Something like that, I guess. It's it's getting too far out there. Convoluted. It's convoluted, and it would have just been fine if you would have had a normal wrestling match and you know Bray lost like they did the first one. And then they did this storyline where The Fiend attacked Alexa Bliss because the storyline could be that Braun wants to go defend Alexa Bliss, right? And then you could do whatever you wanted with Alexa Bliss afterwards, you mind control her or whatever. The problem is the main fucking guy that you're building the storyline for is dead <laughs> right now. Apparently, yeah. So that's that's more of the problem. So I don't want to say I hated it. I thought it was filmed well. It would have helped out, and I know this sounds so cheesy, but if afterwards, after all that happened, they go to a scene of the swamp and you just see Bronze Hand come out and grab the duck and that they go to black after that or something. 
Or if, like, when the Fiend showed up, Aleister Black appeared behind him and just roundhouse kicked the shit out of him. Yeah, that's... And then picked up the mic and said, I'm I'm the devil and I'm here to do the devil's work or some fucking creepy Tex Watson line or some shit, and then that would be your feud if you're going to do that. But, like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, might as well if we're taking it this far. Well, either way, um, to me at least, I, I thought that Raw and SmackDown were a heck of a lot more uh, digestible. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best way to put it. So that's a good thing. Um, but yeah, I, I, I will say um, wrestling wise, like in ring wise, some good stuff on both shows. Yep. You know, we, we I'm, I'm over critical on some of the booking and shit, but like as far as the athletes that they have on both products, I think that's what's more upsetting is they have so much talent. You yep. would assume that they could figure out what to do with it. And that's what pisses me off when we go through these reviews and I start looking at the fact, you know, changing shit as you record it on the same day is fucking baffling. But uh, outside of that, I mean, like, when you say digestible, they both had good wrestling. So, like, if you like good in-ring work, there's some good matches on both of these shows for sure. It just sucks because we watch the Wednesday shows and even Impact is becoming more on my radar and it's like, man, if you could take AJ Styles or if you could take Seth Rollins and throw him on one of these platforms, ugh. But that's not going to happen, and uh, that's the reason why I keep on trying to strive through with Raw and SmackDown so I can still see some of my favorite wrestlers have great wrestling matches and hope that the storylines don't suck so bad. <laughs> yes, it's it's frustrating as hell. And it's not even hard to book someone like AJ Styles or Seth Rollins. They're good wrestlers. Just fucking say, you pissed me off, here's our match. It's like you don't, you don't have to overcomplicate everything, and I think that's part of just the creative writing process they have in WWE. That and the fact they retread so much shit. Um, but, yeah, that, that was, I mean... That's our show, right? <laughs> Unless you got anything else. No, man. I think that's our show. And uh, I think this is much more positive than we, we, we have been uh, before him. But, uh, yeah, thank everyone that is listening, new listeners, old listeners, for checking out the show again. Uh, we always enjoy talking about this type of stuff for you guys and for ourselves, you know, just giving entertainment during today's times. Um, if any of y'all want to find us on different audio platforms, you can do two things. You can either Google Wrestling Geeks Alliance. You'll find all of the links towards our Stitcher account, our Spotify account, our iTunes account, our YouTube account, our SoundCloud account, and pretty much everything across the board. Or you can go to geekvibesnation.com, and that is our news and, and pretty much every audio platform that we have on there. And you can find links to our pages for Geek Vibes Nation on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter. Join the conversation. Join Geek Vibes Nation. Uh, we should be having an interview uh, up soon. Hopefully, we're finalizing stuff with a very aggressive wrestler that I uh, enjoyed this last week. That's all I'm going to give you guys for, you know, um, a hint, if you will. And uh, as always, Chris, I enjoy talking wrestling with you. We'll continue to talk like we always do through messenger but uh i hope you have a wonderful weekend sir and say goodbye to the, the good people and plug anything you got to plug yeah sure uh so if you want to talk to me you can hit me at, at chris r Patton on twitter currently i'm in a feud with dave Meltzer. it seems like so that should be fun for everyone to read and 
Yeah, make sure you check out the ad. Well, 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 it's not so much a feud. It's just, uh, it's, I, I know stuff more so than you do. So, you know, you got to understand, back when I first saw Kawada and, and Kenta have their match in all Japan. Uh, so uh, if you get bored later, look up that Twitter feed where I can't tell if he's being sarcastic or not. That should be fun. Um, and if you want to listen to a hockey podcast, which we'll have one coming up this weekend, we have Hockey Bat. We're in the 24-team tournament. It's happening right now at Skate's Throats. We're going to have all your hockey news there. And uh, if you haven't already, check out the Rob Terry interview for uh, Generation Iron, Natty for Life, former uh, TNA wrestler, Florida championship wrestler, and uh, a firefighter. Real American hero. Uh, so, yeah, check all that out. And uh, once again, love doing the show. Thanks so much for having me, Dan. Of course, sir. And if you guys want to find me on Twitter, I don't have a Facebook anymore, but find me at DaneAlice42. Message me. We'll talk about some wrestling. Hope everyone has a great weekend and a great work week next week whenever you guys listen to us. Thank you so much for listening to us. Let the Geek Fives be with you. And, of course, peace out. You guys have a good one.